detective? Thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Now Care More, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. That works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bartlebaugh, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Bill Van Vagel. And, Bill, we are finally here in October. We're finally starting our Halloween coverage all month long. It's ghouls and ghosts and everything that that entails here at the Phantom Galaxy. Uh, I've been waiting for this all year long. (laughs) How about you? I am really looking forward to this one, and we'll get into why in a couple minutes. But... As you said, this begins every horror fan, every sci-fi fan, every spooky fan. This is their Christmas season. And (laughs) I am so jacked up. As I was driving home, I ran over to my parents and I went by Spirit of Halloween and I said to my wife, Jennifer, I'm going to be spending a few dollars here in the next next little while. We've got a lot of great stuff. And but and we'll we'll talk a little bit about that towards the very end of this episode. But I'm really excited about what we have tonight because this is going to be a great episode. It's going to be a spooky episode. Get your pen and paper out, too, because I suspect that um, unless you're really into the deep cuts, we're going to probably cover at least a couple movies tonight that you haven't seen before. So one of the things that uh, we love to do here, as everybody knows, is we love to have people on from other podcasts and from other walks of the horror and sci-fi and fantasy community. And we have a great guest tonight And this the concept for tonight's episode was actually his idea. We're going to be talking about Indonesian horror films, which I'd seen a few of, but is probably, relatively speaking, is a bit of a blind spot for me. But many of the ones I've seen, I have enjoyed. But before we get started, I want to go ahead and bring in Don Anelli. Don is a great friend of the show. He is always sharing podcasts from throughout the uh, the horror community and he puts them up every week regularly. I'm always impressed by that. And he's always uh, throwing Phantom Galaxy out there when we have a new episode. So, Don, uh, go ahead, introduce yourself, and let everybody know sort of uh, where they can find you and what you do. Hello, Terima Kasi Tela Mamelika Saya Sineneg Berada Di Sini. Okay. Uh, Get on with that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thank you uh, for that. Um, for those of you, unfortunately, who are not graced with the subtitled version of the show, uh, that was Indone- <laughs> that was Indonesian for uh, hello. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's a running joke. Oof, you didn't curse us. Thank you. No, uh, it's a running joke of mine that uh, for several years I've done this where I've done. Um, guest spots on other podcasts covering foreign films, I do a greeting in the local language. 
it's been a running joke of mine and it's uh, just something I always love to spring on unsuspecting people. So <laughs> yeah, uh, that was uh, what that is. So, uh, you know, I didn't put a Liak curse on you or anything, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> my body's not going to fall out and my intestines hanging from my head. Yeah, no, that was just a simple greeting. Um, now, you know, that's just basically what I've done. So um, yeah, it's great to finally be here uh, talking with you guys. Uh, so uh, basically, um, the concept for this just came about because, uh, well, there's uh, three different reasons for this. Um, one, uh, one of the things that I want to support is that um, I write for a website known as Asian Movie Pulse, which um, is it's a general movie review site, but it focuses specifically on Asian films. So South Korea, Japan, Hong Kong, China, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, all, you know, you, 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 all of that kind of stuff. And so basically, um, you know, just give myself some extra brownie points writing reviews for films I haven't reviewed before. So, uh, you know, always good to have a little extra work on that side to for a show. But uh, the main thing for this was that um, this is a... a, a a personal thing of mine. Um, it's not something that I would expect anybody else to really be aware of or really care about, but it's something that I've noticed just not necessarily by being as involved in it as I have, but just, it, just like a casual conversation thing to where in terms of like Asian genre cinema, Asian horror films, I've sort of noticed that there's a four tier system. Now, at the top of the list would be films from South Korea and Japan. Uh, you know, basically, I don't have to explain why those are like the top of the crop. Uh, you know, if you want to, you know, be specific, you know, you look at South Korea, Whispering Corridors, Wishing Stairs, uh, I Saw the Devil, Old Boy, Host, Train to Busan, The Wailing, Mimic, Metamorphosis, Ganjiam, Haunted Asylum, you name it. I mean, some of the biggest heavy hitters in recent genre history. Like, you're guaranteed quality with a South Korean horror film. With Japan, maybe it's a little bit of a different story. Maybe it's a little bit less involved with the modern genre cinema. Uh, the films that I've seen, at least, they're a little bit more on like the indie side. Uh, you may get like a film from, you know, you may get like a train to like a one cut of the dead, but those are the exceptions, not the rule when it comes to uh, modern J Japanese horror, you know, okay. Sarako versus Kayako or the new, um, the new grudge movie that's uh, just come out recently. But when you get to their history, the history of Japanese horror is like a, a heavy hitters paradise. Jigoku, Kwaidan, Yatsuya Kaidan, Haosu, the Dracula films, you know, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Onababa. Onababa. I mean, Audition, Juwan, Ringu, uh, the list goes on and on. You know, a, a quality lineup of films that, you know, any country would probably be proud to boast of as, you know, being from from there. 
So I, I kind of give them a little bit of leeway and I just say, you know, like their history gives them some leeway and, you know, some credence as to like, okay, yeah, just, you know, you know, just go ahead and just stay there, sort of. The uh, <laughs> so, uh, the second tier would be um, stuff like um, Hong Kong slash China, um, Thailand, and like Indonesia, where... I look at those three groups of uh, those three countries and say, okay, maybe they're not necessarily as like prominent and like as popular as what would normally be the case. But when you see them, they're quality films that come out like the easily accessible films from these countries, they're quality fare. You're just not always aware of them because, you know, maybe one or two comes out that you're aware of all year. Whereas, you know, like a Japanese or a South Korean film, you know, you get like three or four a year that you're aware of. So there's like a, not as much, I would say, quantity, but when you can find them, you know, they're quality films. The third tier for me, at least, would be the Philippines, Malaysia, and Taiwan, where... You know, you haven't really had, I would say, like a heavy hitter from those countries that would like stand out internationally, but they're just like consistently at like a decent to above average level. Maybe one would probably raise up a little bit more, but you're not necessarily getting like a chance to see them because you know, the quantity isn't, you know, internationally available, so to speak. And then finally, like the, the last level, which isn't really a knock on them, but it's just, you know, like I said, it's just something I've, I've, I've observed personally. Uh, the fourth tier would be, you know, Cambodia, Laos, um, and uh, 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 Mongolia. That's the other one, yeah. Where you're more than likely going to encounter people who aren't aware that they've actually produced anything just because there's not a lot of quantity to begin with like i mean can you guys even actually name a film from any of those three countries no not off the top of my head i may have seen one but it's not coming to mind yeah see that's the whole point point. And, and if i did it was probably at a film festival or something yeah you know? that's the thing yeah the quant those are the they've actually produced a couple films but you know the quantity's not there they're just starting to dip their toes into it you know, each of those countries would probably be able to, if I counted up their hands, counted them up, you could probably fit the, quant the countries I'll put on your hands. Like, that's where we are with those three. So they're just getting, they're just getting their feet wet, so to speak. But to draw the whole thing out and to circle back around to the point of this, the whole point of this was to showcase my personal feeling of moving Indonesia to the top spot and make it a threesome at the top with South Korea and Japan as the top genre produ producers in the world, at least in terms of Asian cinema. So uh, sort of speak, look at this as like a, uh, not necessarily like a best of, but just a showcase piece to show what the country it's the is. sampler. It's as a sampler piece, exactly. And that's sort of this is that this is I was gonna say this is like that plate you get at Denny's of fifteen different appetizers. Exactly. Don't say Denny's though, man. <laughs> or Applebee's or Chili's or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, you know, this is just personal 
for this is just a personal thing, but it's just something I've noticed recently. And you know, maybe it's because I, you know I've no I you know working on Asian movie polls, I've noticed this a little bit more. But it's just something that I really wanted to share, and I wanted to you know expose a bunch of people to films that okay you know you, you have you're starting to get rumblings of indonesian cinema you know you get like um may, you know maybe it'll be a film that we cover later tonight like you know something that drops on netflix or drops on shutter and everybody is like wow this is really kind of cool you know what else is out there and you know maybe this episode will help you out and give you an idea of you know what the country's produced and what to you know what to think about them so now, now, Don, one thing I thought of as you were talking with Indonesian films, and by the way, I'm really glad you came up with this because it forces us to look at places that we normally wouldn't and find a whole bunch of new movies to watch that are really good. But in terms of Indonesian film, is it the reason they're not known or they're not quite as prolific in the film goers, is it because A, maybe there's not as much talent? B, perhaps it's just not promoted to the level that others are. Or C, another area is one of the movies I came across, one of the actresses said, I only thought this was going to be shot for the domestic market. And they only really care about showing it in Indonesia as opposed to getting it to Europe or North America. So more more than likely, I would say it's a combination of A and B, because the third answer kind of ties into B a little bit. The third answer kind of ties into the B answer a little bit. Now, when we think of modern genre cinema, to me, I look at three faces. I look at Joko Anwar. I look at Timo Jajanto and Kimo Stambowell. All three of those people have sort of taken up the mantra of modern Indonesian cinema but most of that has come within the last four to five years. So it's yeah. really been internationally, at least as far as what I can say, it's only been in, say, 2015, where we've started getting hints and rumblings of what's been going on there. Because, uh, you know, again, to you know, ask you guys a question, after 19... After the 1980s, would you have been able to name an Indonesian film made in the 1990s or the 2000s? Only if, for me personally, only if I came across it because somebody recommended it. Right. There seems to be, you have the Shaw Brothers distributed stuff in the 70s and the 80s. And then I would venture to guess, and it's probably where you're going with it, Don, that it ends up being Satan Slaves drops on Shutter a couple of years ago, and that sort of puts Indonesia back on the radar. Exactly right. So it's not necessarily a case of not you know the talent hasn't been there. It's just the biggest the biggest shock waves have just come recently, and it's just always been you know the like you said a case of filming stuff for the international for the domestic market. So it's not necessarily a case where, okay, you know, I'm going to make this internet, you know, I'm going to make an internationally appealing film that maybe it'll play okay in domestic cinemas, but I really want to get it out for the rest of the world to see. And it was actually kind of a backwards trend where 
Joko has stated that he made Satan slaves because he want he loved the film so much he wanted to put his own spin on it, and it just so happened that it got so blown up in domestic cinemas that loc that foreign cinemas um, film festivals took heed of it and got got it into there that it got picked up by by you know Shutter and you know put out on you know for. Um, for a bigger audience to see and then that led to the led the way for other filmmakers to say oh hey maybe you know you know other audiences are going to be very you know um i guess like very reactive and like appreciative of our films maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to actually start doing that and i i I can't say for sure because I haven't delved deeply into talking with the local um, crop of filmmakers about that, but I I would look at it as that probably being the case where the local talent has just now started to emerge and it just basically being, and we're reacting and we're re- respecting what's being produced there. So I think it's a little of A and a little bit of B, and your C answer kind of ties into B a little bit. Yeah, and I, I would say with the, also with the with the sort of the cult audience that would be probably seeing maybe some of the the other stuff that exists out there, or harkening uh, back to the 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 stuff that was released in the seventies, eighties. You know, I attended many film festivals in the early two thousands when you were getting some of the really heavy output. Uh, when when Japan was really starting to emerge with new with new things like Battle Royale and Audition and movies like that, and Miyuki was really establishing himself. And around that same time, I mean, you had Thailand. Even there, uh, you made a good point. Some of the movies from places like Thailand. Very good movies, but there are some movies out there. There's like Bubba Ratri, I think, is a great movie. Oh, and I love still that tons franchise. of people who never heard of that. Film. I love that franchise. Yeah, yeah, and that the that first movie was so almost schizophrenic. It was like three different kinds of movie all together. It was yeah. wonderful, absolutely. And yeah. but there are tons of people who've never seen it. But even at those film festivals, they were showing things like Lady Terminator and the Mystics in Bali. You know, they were still representing Indonesian film, but they didn't have a whole lot of. You know, those movies existed, but like some of the more stuff. recent ones. Like and, the current stuff, right. Yeah, they were just kind of so-so. Then nothing that would make a giant splash, you know. And uh, you would see it, and it, it wouldn't make quite the impact. But I think we have some movies here tonight that definitely, you know, we're going back. We're, we're, we're kind of in the in the current time as well and, and sort of stuff in between. So I had a blast watching. I had seen many of the movies already, but I had a blast going back and rewatching some and catching a few new ones. And before we start, I kind of want to do talk about one of the things I think is kind of fascinating about the Indonesian horror specifically. And it's not that it's not true of some of the other uh, Asian horrors. You know, they are a lot of them, particularly the supernatural are very firmly rooted in, in like local mythologies. What I've found with some of the Indonesian horror films and some of the movies from some of the other countries you mentioned in that in that third that uh, third and fourth or second and third tier, uh, movies that they treat the supernatural in a very not necessarily realistic. What shows up on screen may not be uh, extremely realistic, but the tone of the film sometimes is very sincere. They treat the supernatural, these creatures from 
beyond the grave or from from a sort of dimension just to the left of ours you know whether it's souls of the dead or some kind of completely creature that's related to black magic they treat them with a sort of sincerity and authenticity almost a matter of fact feel you know it's sort of like oh yeah. by the way in indonesia one of the things we have to deal with is things that eat eat babies out of the womb you know it's just a thing yeah I, <laughs> and, yeah that is something that i i have noticed i did notice with the with a lot of these films is that it took so long for them to be aware of something that was going on just because it seemed like it was just such a natural everyday part of their lives to be encountering stuff like this that it didn't seem out of the normal for something to happen Whereas for an American audience, it would be, oh, okay, yeah, she's a witch, burn her. Like, we would see, like, two, one or two incidences, and we would be, you know, pitchforks at the ready, ready to light them on fire. Whereas you look at some of the yes. some of the villagers on, you know, a couple of these films, it took them so long to actually do something because they treated it just as, oh, we've got to do something before she launches another attack on us, or we've got to do something before this thing comes back to get us. It's like, you guys are aware of the fact that there's this thing coming to kill you? Like, you're not going to do something about it first? <laughs> like, they're going about their everyday... I imagine that the... Yeah, like, they're going about their everyday right. lives aware of the fact that there's this man-eating... that there's this man-eating witch out there from the grave trying to kill them for something that they did. Like, it's just one of those weird sort of, like... Like like cultural shifts that uh, yeah I kind of was aware of I started being aware of that and it's kind of fascinating it, for one thing it cuts out the middleman there's no moment where these people stare in disbelief and are freaked out that there's something supernatural coming for them you know it's about the same way as being like oh we have cockroaches you know it's like we've got we've got a pecong or a or a, a liak in the neighborhood we better do something about this and the other thing i notice is you know at the end of all the movies no matter how fantastic they make the culminating last 20 minutes the the crowd or the house or the family they're they're accepting of what happens okay it's almost like i seem like i've learned something here there's a there's a moral to this tale. Let's just get on with life. Knowing you know? is half the battle. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like you never see anybody in, in any of the movies I saw. I didn't hear any see anybody in great tears. I didn't see anybody bawling on the floor. I didn't see anybody weeping. You know, it was just okay. It's happened. Let's move on. And I think that's the fascinating aspect of it. It's like the supernatural is such is so built in to the lives and everything as the characters that you, you come at from a different perspective and it's not immediately horrifying because it's not presented that way. They tend to build this weird sense of like, when I watch a lot of these Indonesian horror films, it's not that they're excessively scary per se, not that some of them are, but they create such a weird unnerving vibe because the supernatural is so omnipresent. It feels like you're looking at a, something from a completely different dimension you know a dimension where you can't escape the ghosts because they're with you all the time yeah uh i i can't agree more yeah it was it was something that i kind of took notice of um maybe it was because i kind of just binged everything just to you know like kind of rapidly <laughs> and like in close quarters with each other but yeah no i i definitely kind of noticed that there's this you, you know, like you said, this weird omnipresent sort of acceptance of supernatural occurrences around them. 
Yeah, it's almost like if you buy a house that isn't haunted, you're not part of the in crowd. You, know? <laughs> you, you get the idea that whatever version of the Lifetime channel they have in uh, Indonesia, it's just instead of, you know, uh, jilted lovers and internet stalkers, it's just demons and monsters. <laughs> that kind of I, thing. I can't wait to see the Halloween costumes in Jakarta. Yeah. Like <laughs> well, that, that, yeah, well, I had, I sent an article to both of you. Something happened last year that made me chuckle. We could talk about it because it's sort of it, the mythology it's following ties into a. Uh, one of the films we'll talk about, but it was an interesting and sort of novel way that they were dealing with the virus in Indonesia or the social distancing measures. But Don, I'm going to kind of turn it for you. Where would you like to start with this? Uh, I don't think it necessarily has to be, uh, you know, chronological, but wherever you want, um, however you want to approach this, I'm good. Yeah. Um, so I think we uh, should probably take a look at um well, uh, one of the films that I think we all saw. So uh, let's actually start off with uh, The Wild Lady Terminator. <laughs> oh, baby. Bill. Oh, baby. Bill. I'll tell mine after. I'll let Don kind of set up. Why do, why do you think this is almost the penultimate Indonesian horror action kick-ass movie? <laughs> so, um, well, first of all, uh, I'll, let's do a, a quick little synopsis here. So uh, essentially, according to the film, there was this uh, South Seas queen who ruled her kingdom and basically killed her male lovers if they failed to satisfy her. One person did. And, and, or, and Dawn, Dawn how, how did that occur? Oh, uh, she basically cuts them during sex. And uh, you have to uh, it, it, ha you have to have a little bit of imagination here. I don't want to go too much into the NC seventeen route, but uh, if they're having sex, <laughs> if they're having sex, and uh, she cuts them, let's just put two and two together and call it that. You know, I'll let your I'll let you guys fill in the NC seventeen parts. Let's just keep it at that point for now. But um, yeah, they're having sex, and she cuts them. Let's just you know, take it from there and it doesn't go all the way, but it implies it goes all the way. So. <laughs> and there are Let's snakes involved. It, we'll get the there. Snakes and involvement. Yeah. It, it reminded me a little of teeth. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, so uh, like I said, uh, this one lover manages to put an end to her by ripping the snake out of her. And she ends up cursing her, des his descendant 100 years later and basically her castle and kingdom submerge into the waters. Now, 100 years later, this anthropology student uh, named Barbara, or no, Tanya, Tanya, that's what it was. Barbara was the name of the actress that played her, that's right. So this anthropology student named Tanya, she's investigating the legend of the South Seas Witch and goes scuba diving to try to find the location where the boat sinks and nobody survives. However, later that night, a fully nude Tanya emerges from the waters and realizes that she's become possessed by the South Seas Queen to fulfill the curse. And after stealing, you know, sexual fluids from several local punks in the area, as well as the clothes, because let's face it, they've already been dead. She sets out on a mission. On Just like Schwarzenegger did in the uh, Terminator movie. Well, minus the fluids. Yeah. <laughs> 
she sets off on a rampage across the city trying to find this pop singer named Erica, who it's determined has is the uh, great granddaughter of the local the man that originally killed her several decades earlier. And what results is one of the most insane, over-the-top firefight, fake bullet displays <laughs> of action grindhouse cinema that you've ever seen. As nobody's able to stop her until the final, the final minutes. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to do this just basically. Well, I wanted to. The, the idea was, let's do schlock. Because I think you need, I, I've always respected a country that does schlock and does it well. And I think this is one of the finest schlock fests I've ever seen in my life. It is, the title doesn't give, you, give it away. Um, it is pretty much a shot for shot rip of Terminator. Uh, you get very, you get like four or five sequences recreated almost verbatim. You have lines of dialogue that are taken directly out of the film. You have the Terminator, the Lady Terminator of the film, the possessed Tanya, looks kind of almost exactly like Schwarzenegger did, just with tits. <laughs> and it's. Yeah, it is a wild ride. I mean, there is almost no second on screen wasted here. You get straight to the action. You get straight to the explosions. You get straight to the chasing, the shootouts, and all of that stuff. And it is a ton of fun. Its status as a piece of quality cinema cinema making is up for debate. But I am not in the slightest bit concerned. This is just pure balls to the wall action horror schlock and I really respect the film for that yeah well this is I'm not going to downgrade this film this I knew very little about this other than Dave Becker put this on his list of underrated gems to watch of people that haven't seen so I said okay Dave likes this it's got to have some kind of quality to this and I'll tell my story that we were alluding to before afterwards. But all I got to say is what a ball of fun. <laughs> what an absolute ball of fun this is. Anybody that hasn't seen Lady Terminator, it's widely available on YouTube. I'm sure some of the streaming services have this. Like literally shot for shot from Terminator to the point where he's, you know, the scene in Terminator where uh, Arnie walks down the street naked and you basically see his butt cheeks, you know, the, the dimples in them. Well, you see them in the lady Terminator too. It's, it, it's a fun, a couple little notes I took, you know, the, uh, Dawn talked about, she was in a bed under the water and she came out. I don't know where underwater there's a bed that a naked woman is tied to. Uh, you know, you, you you just take it as part of the movie. In Indonesia, yeah. you never know. In Indonesia, Same. what happens with the ghosts, you know, whatever. Now, there was one point where there's a few times at the beginning where there's the, the soundtrack is prominent in this, you know. The Ricky Brothers. And, and, and it, it kind of goes, and I'm like, that sounds like the music from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> oh my god now that you say that that's what it was now that you say that that's what it was it took, 
it, it, it took me like 10 minutes of racking my brain and my wife's going, why are you scratching your head so much? Because I was trying to get my little gray cells. What is that song? Now that you say that. You're physically scratching your head. No, no, no. No, exactly. no now that Bill has said that. That that it's was almost identical. It, it really is. Now that he says that, yeah, I, I can't believe I didn't put it together. But now that he said it, it's like I, I can't either. unhear it. No. Now that he said it, I can't unhear no, it. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. You know, like there's here's how I put it. There's elements of Terminator, Commando, Tokyo Gore Police, and Teeth. And if you mash them all together, because who wouldn't? You're getting the Terminator. But here's my other note. I put. There's enough violence to put Scarface to shame. <laughs> like, like she can take a bullet like no other. All right. It's the, the ending to the point where she's getting up out of a burning explosion as the robot did in Terminator. Like it's, it's that shot for shot. And now, now, now you guys being cinephiles, was it just me or does the main cop look like Peter Scolari? I see that. I can uh, see that for sure. It wouldn't be my first choice, but I, 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 I'll go along with it. Yeah. Wouldn't be my first choice. Yeah. That's just the one that came up. Yeah. And on top of everything, and there's a certain point where she can take a bullet. She's getting shot at. but uh, And all of a sudden, halfway through the film, she develops telekinetic, telekinesis powers, and she can shoot lasers from her eyes. The laser eyes was cool. That, that was a see. If you're going to do something that's so shot for shot, you need a couple of other, uh, you know, gimmicks that, that don't exist in the other version. So she's not, you know, you take out the time travel and then you introduce these other things like the, the but, but the if, snake. She, if she has <laughs> if she has the ability to shoot lasers out of her eyes, why didn't she use it earlier in the film when it would have helped her? Maybe she just she leveled up. By that point, after the police station, she had leveled. That's that was a lot of XP points, you know, that she she racked up in the, the police station. And the, the, but it helps differentiate the action figures. You're going to make an action figure now. You have chomping snake action, and you have laser eyes. That's perfect. That's laser. a great way to sell that. And you also action have, figure. And you also have the melting body one. Like you've got like three yeah. or four of them in there. Like but she, it's, she's got to be she's got to be the Ripley of Indonesia. But, but if you're gonna it. do a mockbuster, this is the people should take note because it's it's so similar. But then it even goes it ups the ante in a lot of cases of the action. Like the action is it's not better shot than the original Terminator, but it's so much more like off the wall. Like it just keeps going. That's <laughs> like what I was saying earlier. Its status as a piece of cinema, as a piece of cinema filmmaking, maybe in question, but in terms of action, it's off the charts. Yeah. And the energy there is ridiculous. They just, it's like heedless energy. It just keeps going. There's one scene where there's a, a ship or a boat that gets caught in a heck of a storm. And I'm looking at it going, that reminds me of those Italian films where you just stick in stock footage. That's exactly, there's <laughs> the ship crashing and the waves. I'm like, that, they didn't shoot that. There's no bloody way they shot that. But you go with it. You just Lady Terminator, you just go with, and you're gonna enjoy it to the high hilt if you like that kind of movie. And here's a case where that again, having that sort of Indonesian underlay of there's gonna be some mythology, there's mythical concepts of gods and goddesses walking among us. Like that stuff slips into the movie so easily and it gives the movie a differentiation point because you know 
these elements were not in the Terminator. We didn't have that yeah. snake. And, uh, you know, it's so funny. You've got this cover and she's holding the gun. And uh, I mentioned to Dave, it's like, it's funny that you got a cover where she's holding a gun in a movie where there's a, you know, there's a junk eating snake run- that slithers out of her body. <laughs> The fact that something like that is secondary. The fact that that is not the main attraction in a movie like this is is kind of amazing. But it is that everything in the kitchen sink kind of attitude to get you from beginning to end. I agree with you. It's, it's it's a classic piece of schlock because it never stops trying to be inventive. I think even when it's redoing one of the scenes, it does it in such a way that it, it's memorable, you know. I, I can watch an asylum movie and I'm just like, oh, I'm done, you know, because it's just it's it's not even imitation. Sometimes it's just going through the motions. You know, I don't want to see going through the motions. If you think this was worthy to spend your time and money remaking this, show me why. And this movie does. This is kind of a love letter to the Terminator. At the same time, it's everything else. Yeah. And I was was I the only one that noticed that that one police officer buddy of the main cop, I thought is this guy trying really hard to be Jeff Spicoli? Like, Oh, the one with, or, or the guy from or, the one with the yeah, glorious or, mullet? Or, or the guy from summer school, the one with the mullet, the yes. mullet of, you know, <laughs> he's got like Frank Stallone beat or Joe Piscopo, you know, like this guy, had Frank <laughs> Stallone. <laughs> yes. That was, that was quite a mullet. That too was. Uh, so, uh, um, uh, what would you give this, Don? What rating would you, you know, out of 10, four or five star, whatever, you know? So I, like, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with me, I am an unabashed lover of schlock, which is one of the reasons why I put this on the list and why I covered it first. Now, I'm not going to say that it's a piece of good filmmaking. You know, the, it looks cheap. It's, you know, rushed. And it's nearly a shot-for-shot remake of The Terminator. You know, if you want to watch quality filmmaking, watch The Terminator. But it's just such an unabashed ball of fun. I'm going to say eight and a half on this. I, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of fun with it, and it's just, you know, it's eighty minutes. You're not going to waste a lot of. You're not going to waste your life watching this movie. It's going to be in and out, and it's breakneck the entire way through. I'm going to say eight and a half for this. Good stuff. I can't argue. Well, I mean, I'll argue a little bit for fun, but <laughs> I gave this a solid, I, I give this a solid seven and a half. This is yeah. anybody who hasn't seen check out lady Terminator. Yeah. Man. I'm a seven and a half too. And I agree. I think that yes, watch the Terminator, but also watch lady Terminator because I don't think you want to miss it. And it's a, this is a great get a group together, maybe not your church group, but get a group together and watch watch this. It's a perfect sort of schlock movie night kind of thing. This is a movie like, that's really a lot of fun in a group. This is better than some of those bad Italian Terminator takeoffs. Oh, I can't well, this Bill. more than that's like... <laughs> I like this more than Shocking Dark, I'll say that. I like this more than Shocking Dark. <laughs> now, whether or not I like it more than... Um, some of the other stuff that he, that Bruno Matai or some of the other ones have made, that's up for debate. But if we're talking something like Shocking Dark, which is like a pretty shot for shot and remake of it, I like this one a little bit more. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see this one get a little bit better of a release. And, you know, because I think it's on like an out of print DVD. Because I don't think this has made the jump to Blu ray or is even in like a printed. Well, that's the one thing I. Well, go ahead. No, I don't. Not that I know of. 
that's the one thing I was going to ask you, Don, because you're the aficionado in this. It appears to me that unless it's come out in the last five to seven years, a lot of the Indonesian films don't seem to have crisp, clean copies. Is there a reason? Is there no desire to clean them up? Or is there just not enough of domestic uh, interest in rebuying these films? I, I would probably venture a guess to say the domestic interest one. Um, I know um, several countries, um, uh, I think Thailand especially, um, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, they never kept um, film stock copies. Um, I, I know Thailand especially was notorious for just reusing the same piece of film stock to shoot a movie over and over again. So they would retape. Yeah. They would retape movies onto the same roll of film. So, you know, the copy would be lost forever because nobody thought to make a copy of it. You would just have one, you'd have like one reel of film and you would have it been copied over like five or six or seven or more times. So a lot of films from I think their there, preservation methods were not up there either. Yeah, their like long-term preservation stuff was never really a priority. Now, in terms of Indonesia, I'm a little less familiar with them. Uh, I would imagine that unless it's one of the big revered classics, which I think we'll cover a couple of them later tonight, there's not really a demand just because you know, you're getting a lot more acclaim out of the more recent stuff. So they're not going to take the time to go back into the vaults and dig out and clean up the older stuff. So I think once it would, it gets to a case where, okay, we've seen all of the modern stuff, like what else is out there? I think that's when they're going to start digging deep and starting to rediscover films like this or a couple of the other ones, just because it's going to be a case of, you know, filling out collector's editions or just getting eyes on, you know, wild, obscure films that nobody's seen before. So, you know, Mondo Macabro or Severin or uh, Vinegar Syndrome, I think they're going to be the ones that are going to do it. I don't see something like, an, you know, Arrow or um, uh, what's that other company? It's not Arrow. Uh, Shout Factory. Shout Factory, yeah. yeah. Like I, Shout Factory, Scream Factory. Yeah, yeah, I don't see like those companies going into Indonesia and cleaning out their vaults. I think it's going to be, you know, the, the first three, the Mondo Macabro, Severin, and uh, Vinegar Syndrome. I think they're going to be the ones that are going to go in and dig out these obscurities. But I don't know when that's going to happen unless it gets to a point where modern Indonesia is picked clean that they're forced to go back in and do the country's back catalog. So uh, uh, that's probably the and best, it, that's the, the best answer I can give at the moment. And it looks like, I don't think that it may not be on Blu-ray, but Mondo Macabre does in fact have copy of the lady Terminator. Um, uh, yeah. Like I said, I Vin vinegar syndrome website. Yeah. So I said, I knew that they had a DVD of it because I've seen the, I've seen the cover of it, and it had the Mondo Macabro logo on it. I've seen that around, but I don't know if that's still in print or if they've decided to upgrade it to blue or not. So yeah, it looks like they have a about forty three on the website for eighteen ninety nine. So not not a terrible price tag, um, although it is DVD. It's not Blu ray. So I'll put links to where you can see it on YouTube, and I'll put link to the vinegar. There you go. Yeah, preview it on YouTube and. 
there you go. Preview it on YouTube, and then if you want it, you can check out the DVD site. Now, this leads nicely to my excursion into looking for Lady Terminator. Your detour. <laughs> detour. My wrong journey. Turn. Wrong <laughs> turn. So you guys had sent me kind of links where I could find it. Now, YouTube. And I was it was after work. I typed in Lady Terminator. Oh, here's a full movie. I wasn't looking super, super close. It looked, it described itself as an Indonesian film. Okay, that's got to be it. Well, I started watching this film. And after about 45 minutes, I text Nathan and I go, why is this one so acclaimed? There's a women that were being beaten and sexually abused and the action was really strong. And I I just didn't see why. Well, I watched 1977's Lady Exterminator (laughs) from the Shaw Brothers. Yeah. Which was a very different movie. <laughs> but I guess, be, uh, some, you know, in translation, things got, you know, meddled together. This one had awful lip syncing. There's a lot of women getting beating. Like, I can watch a movie with nudity. I can watch with some sexual violence. But I don't care for that. That's not my bag. But this was women getting beaten and beaten and beaten. And the women, you know, they they didn't make a big deal of it because at the end they shot, there was a rape revenge. But I'm like, this can't be the film. And by the time I realized it was the wrong film, I was an hour and 10 minutes in. So I had to see how the damn thing ended. But- <laughs> and I was feeling bad because I had been recommending it to Bill. I'm like, Bill, you should pick Liddy Terminator. It's right up your alley. And then he's like, and then he's like, I don't care for all this, all of what's happening. And this. I'm like, oh no, I've repulsed Bill. <laughs> how did that happen? When I found out it was a Shaw Brothers, I'm like, oh, okay, makes sense. They were more distributors, I think, on some of these movies. I think that'd be a yeah. correct way to put it. Yeah. So I'm glad you didn't recommend this song. Oh, yeah, no. Um, Lady Exterminator is not even from the right country. So, yeah, that wasn't... Um, oh, it's not Indonesian. Yeah, if it, uh, Lady Exterminator... That was a Hong Kong? Yeah, Hong, that's uh, Shaw Brothers is Hong Kong. So, yeah, that was a, a, a secondary factor for uh, excluding that one. <laughs> Have you seen it, Don? Not in full. Um, I saw um, a copy. I thought there was a full version, but it was actually uh, it was actually censored. Um, a lot of the violence okay. was um, cut. Was a lot of the violence was like uh, shrouded and fogged out, and then it was cut by I think like ten minutes. So I, once I realized that the violent, once I realized that the violence was trimmed down, I looked into it and was like, "Wait, I thought this was uncut." And then I looked up and I saw the running time. I looked it up and the running time was like 10 minutes longer than the version I was watching. So I was like, oh, whoops. I'm watching like a super censored version. I haven't been able to find the full version. So if that's on YouTube, I'd I'd look into it. But I'm yeah, I'm not going to make it like a high priority or anything. No. And and you'd better, you know, either eaten a while back or not eaten. Mm. (laughs) Because it's it's not the most pleasant. Yeah. Um, well, like I said. Uh, uh, yeah. Like I said, uh, I as soon as I realized that it was kind of uh, like it wasn't really it, you know a complete version because a lot of the violence was censored out and shrouded and stuff like that. I looked into it and I was like, is this like was it ever released uncut? And it turns out the version I was watching was uh, ten minutes shorter. So I've never been able to see it in full. Gotcha. So Nathan, what is one that you would 
love to bring to the table? Well, uh, we could, um, I'm kind of up to, to what Don wants to do. We can kind of continue this link with, uh, uh, with the lady Terminator and we could talk the wild, you know, seventies and eighties movies, or we could do something a little bit more recent. Don, you have a preference? Uh, yeah. Um, let's do one of my personal favorite films. May the devil take you. Oh yeah, good choice. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, done by Timo Jajanto, who um, is basically one half of a uh, famous Indonesian crime fighting du- uh, not crime fighting duo. I don't know why the hell I said that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rain just went into weird places there for a second. Uh, <laughs> directing duo, I think. That's... That would be awesome though if they were. Yeah, <laughs> I think I meant to say directing duo. Um, a directing duo with uh, Kimo Stambowell, who were known as the Mo Brothers. And they were, you know, right around like the late 2000s, early 2010s, producing a lot yeah. of um, stuff uh, together. They were called the Mo Brothers. And recently they decided to go their separate ways. And I think they're still friends, but they're just basically doing their own projects at the moment. And one of Timo's first films is May the Devil Take You. So uh, basically what happens here is a uh, woman um, arrives at the hospital to inquire about the status of her father, who's basically been struck ill recently. And she comes to find out from the rest of her siblings that are there that her father has been practicing black magic. And through no fault of their own, they come to realize that they are now haunted by this mysterious black magic demon. And through the course of the film, they come to realize that her, the father had made a deal with this demon years ago. And the deal is now supposed to be repaid, which in turn forces the father's illness and which has affected all of the supernatural hauntings that have affected all of them recently. And it's a race to finish what's going on and to stop it before it consumes everyone. So basically, this is, um, I would say, right after Satan's Slaves. And I say Satan's Slaves is probably, I think, the better film. But May the Devil Take You is the film that I think brought Indonesian audiences into the genre to say, holy crap. Because this is one of the goriest <laughs> and most absolute blood-soaked films I've ever seen from anywhere. And if you're thinking the Indonesian Evil Dead, you're not far off. Because that's the kind of tone that That's about right. That's the tone. That With some Night of the Demons thrown in there. Yeah, Night of the Demons meets the Evil Dead just wrapped up in an Indonesian cloth. I think that's pretty much the selling point for this one because that's the tone that I get here. It is violent. It is relentless. There's jump scares. There's, you know... Gross. Yeah, there's... (laughs) Cheerfully gross. Yeah, it's, you know, over the top, but it's also suspenseful in places. Like, you do get, you know, hints that there's, you know, like, small little gaps, and then, you know, rah, something's about to get you. And... Uh, this is one of my favorite films. I absolutely love this, and it's, I think, one of the best films that they've ever made. 
What about you guys? I had a great time with this one. And it's interesting because when you're, when you read that synopsis or the synopsis you just gave Don, which really just captured what the movie is, it sounds more like a movie almost in the, the vein of something that a 24 would release, right. You know, right. like a dark and the wicked or a hereditary and this very stately, you know, people use the term elevated horror and that sort of thing. But that's not what this is because it, it's true. There is a mystery involved there, but it ramps up pretty quickly and pretty effectively. And I had a blast watching it. Uh, I really like this director too. He did a really, um, he also did, uh, what was it? The night comes for us, which is right. Sort of, yeah. That one, yeah. you know, gory, bloody, um, uh, more of a martial arts sort of, uh, action sort of, uh, film. And that one was great too. He also did that segment in VHS too. That one, um, what was in the, the, the middle that involves the, the oh, cults? Uh, yeah. You know? So um, if you remember. Yeah. Oh, God. What was the name of that? Safe Haven or something, I think, maybe. Yeah, I think that's the one. If that's if that's the one with the cult, yeah, I think it is Safe Haven. But it's been so yeah. long since I've seen the, the, just, the It's been a while since I've seen it. But, yeah, if it's the one I'm thinking of, then, yeah, I think you're right. It is Safe Haven. Yes, that's the one that ramps up sort of, uh, you know, it just – goes out there pretty quickly and if you if you've seen that and you remember it that's not unlike what is happening in this film it takes a little bit of time in setting up the dynamics of the supernatural but again gets that point where it just sort of matter of factly says you got demons and you gotta do something about it (laughs) and they do i uh you know what i know here's something about this particular movie I actually kind of enjoy the characters in this movie too. Like it isn't just a fish in the barrel kind of a movie. And I think that's what made night of the demons and, and even the sequel, which I, I'd seen for LC series. I'd never seen before. And the evil dead movies, they're not deep characters. They're they're, they're kind of two dimensional, but they're fun characters. And there's a little bit of that in this film too. And it gets you through it. So we're not talking, it's not just gore for the sake of gore. There's a, there's a fun engaging story does get creepy. Like you said, Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bill. Yes, I am. Um, I was just gonna say I, I'm pretty sure I've seen this, but but it's been so many years I can't really con- contribute to the conversation. I remember the uh, Evil Dead kind of links and the spookiness and the you know the creepiness and that kind of thing. But mm. I right now I'm a little fuzzy on the exact details. I've had to do a lot lately, and I just didn't get to this one. So, uh, okay. Where did you guys find this streaming? Netflix. It was streaming on Shutter. No, that's the sequel. This one's on the. the oh, the sequel's on Shutter. That's the right, sequel's yeah. on Shutter. Yeah, the original's on Netflix, which is kind of odd. But yeah, this one's on. Uh, this one is on Netflix. The sequel is on Shutter. And I actually okay, haven't so then, seen the sequel yet. Ooh. So I got to get on that. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> I was about say, it. But... So so. I was just going to say, so it's on Netflix, so it's pretty easy for me to just pop in and find. Right, yeah. Um, it should still be there. Um, I haven't checked. Maybe. Um, I, I, haven't, I haven't checked. It looks this. like it is, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm saying, I is, when I saw it, it was there, so I don't know. It should still be there for you then. Um, and the, unless, of course, you know, Canadian, yep. Canadian Netflix is different than American. They it throw is. some curveballs with us sometimes, but it looks that's like what it's I'm there, saying, is that, yeah. looked, uh, at yeah. least here in the States. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is that yeah, I don't so know. So I, I do look forward to getting to it. Yeah. I just had to I had to maximize my time. So that's, I yeah. popped in four or five. So but I know that I know the sense of the film. So 
I really look forward to revisiting it and anything that involves, you know, Evil Dead inspiration, I'm all for. Right, yeah. And how about your rating on this one, um, Don? Yeah, um, like I said, this is one of my favorites. Uh, It is just creepy, chilly, gory. Um, It may be a tad too long. Um, If I was to, you know, know, we didn't get deeply into this. Um, if it if I did have a gripe, I think it's maybe five minutes too long. I think it kind of wanders around a little too much yeah. in the second half. Um, a couple storyline beats could have gotten um, included a little bit easier, a little bit, um, you know, let's just say, you know, you could have gotten to the point a little quicker. You know, I don't want to spoil too much for Bill just in case I don't want to, you know, ruin his rewatch. But um yeah, I'm very comfortable giving this like a week nine and a half. Like it just barely makes it there. Um, more than likely, I would say a nine, but I'll give it a very weak nine and a half. Cool. Yeah, this is a I think I go with an eight on this one. It is a lot of fun and it, it feels very much of a piece if I'm. If I'm recommending some of those Gonzo Gore films, if I'm, you know, if if you're telling me you've already seen Dead Alive and Evil Dead and Night of the Demons, uh, or and you know stuff like Deathgasm, uh, but I think that the thing about this is this is firmly a horror movie. It is not a horror comedy. Not right, that there yeah. aren't moments that sort of make you giggle in how absurd things get, but I I would say it almost veers more into horror than those other films, yeah. meaning that it doesn't doesn't make comedy as much a, a, a an emphasis. Yeah, I would, like I said, uh, to me, the tone is very, very reminiscent of the original Evil Dead. Not the... Yes, yes, yeah. which was a, a horror film. First yeah, and it was, yeah. This black humor. Yeah, um, to, that was, like I said, like that was the one thing that I found with this one, is that the tone is very original Evil Dead. Maybe even the remake... But like I said, it's that version. It's the it's the original slash a little bit of the remake. That's the sort of tone and atmosphere you can expect with this one. So, yeah, if that sounds appealing, uh, go ahead and give it a shot. Now, have you seen the sequel? Uh, yeah, I've seen both. And is it, is it worth pro- seeing as well? Absolutely. I think they're percentage points apart from each other. I think they're very equal. However, if I was to suggest something that anybody takes from this episode, if you are going to binge them, binge them as one and two. Don't just go into two without any knowledge of one, because they do play off of the mythology from one a lot. So they are very, very much a sequel that follows up the events of the original. So, like I said, if you're, you know, if one is interest, if one sounds good, go for two. Because it does follow up the events. You get a lot of the same, you know, surviving characters, if I can say that. But yeah, they play very, very, very much like a companion piece. And watching one and two together is a very fun night in. in. That's awesome. May the Devil Take You Part 2 is definitely going to go on my list for my 30 days of Halloween or 31 days of Halloween. So. I, and I'll probably rewatch the first awesome. one as well. Uh, so, yeah, uh, totally yeah, fun movie. Yeah, I'd uh, love to hear what you thought of it. <laughs> so, uh, since we've done the modern king 
of Indonesian cinema, I think it's only fair that we go to the old school queen of Indonesian horror cinema. (laughs) And let's do Sundel Bolong. Sundel Bolong. All right, Bill, you watch this one, right? Yes. Now, I'm going to preface this with a quick... I watched this on YouTube. It was in Indonesian with subtitles that were translated. So it's kind of like the third level of it. They weren't the best translations. So I had to use intonation. I had to kind of use my knowledge of body language and following the story to kind of fill in some of the gaps that were there. It kept coming up with hi, 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 hi. (laughs) I think hi was there. I don't know a word. Let's put in high. <laughs> so it, but it was an interesting film. So Don, why would you like to talk about this film? Okay. Um, so like I said, I mentioned at the beginning that this was a, uh, in, you know, we were talking about this one because it stars the Indonesian queen. And when I mean Indonesian queen, I mean that in the literalist sense, the, uh, <laughs> The main star of the film is an actress known as Susanna with two Z's. And she is basically Indonesia's Debbie Rashawn, Brink Stevens, Linnea Quigley, Jamie Lee Curtis rolled into one. This is the person that you looked at when you wanted to watch an Indonesian horror movie in the late 70s and early 80s. Several of her films, um, I wanted to find a couple of them, but I couldn't find translated subtitled versions. I found versions of several of these films on YouTube, but they didn't have English subs. So we never, I didn't put them on the list. This one I did. Um, unfortunately, sorry for the experience, but I didn't do a better job uh, confirming everything. But I looked at it, it said English <laughs> subtitles. It, uh, you know, I thought good enough. So that was basically the amount, the extent of the work I did um, for that. But um, like I said, several of her films were nominated for the Indonesian version of the Academy Awards. And oh, at, yeah. several, at several points, it was considered such a lock that she won. The competing actresses never attended the ceremony because they expected her to win for her performances. That's the level of domineering presence that she held in the Indonesian cinema during her reign. Her film... She's really like Debbie Roshan and Meryl Streep rolled together, right? Well, like I said, you can put them together as much, whatever you want, but I wanted to make the point that this was undisputed, just absolute, you know, no doubt about it, the figure you went to for for horror cinema in Indonesia. That was the the point I was trying to make. Did she ever... Did she ever get a sniff at North American movies or European movies? Uh, I never heard that there was much. Um, I would imagine she probably may have been offered uh, European roles, but not necessarily um, being familiar with much of the language outside um, a side of the country. I wouldn't imagine that there would have been much. It doesn't look like it, yeah. Yeah, um, I would pretty busy in her own country <laughs> she has 37 some credits to 91 yeah that's a another factor was that um working as frequently and as much as she did she may not have had the time but 
I fear another reason would have been that she may not have had much confidence going to a foreign film industry and working there. Just, you know, sticking with what you know and, you know, working, you know, we, you have the success that you have, you know, going to a foreign country, learning from there from the ground up and trying to break into that industry. I doubt that may have been a factor for, you know, people back then. I, I don't know. I mean, she's unfortunately passed away. So we can't ask her in person, but I can't imagine that, you know, Nathan could be right that, you know, she just may have been so busy that, you know, her schedule never opened up, but there may, I can't doubt that there may have been a small factor of not trusting foreign film industries and foreign film markets that, you know, that may have also been, you know, it may not be in the primary factor, but may have been just like one of those, oh, that's an extra point for staying here. Let's just, you know, stay here. Is is one of those kinds you of look situations. At, if you look at her IMDb, and she passed in two thousand and eight, uh, she was sixty six when she passed, and she has a credit in a movie in two thousand eight. But ah, but before that, or the the most recent credit was nineteen ninety one. But if you and again, like I said, thirty seven credits from that from the point of nineteen. So she's a couple things there in like. The, the 50s when you get into like 1970 she's got some some a few things in 61 and 66 when you get to 1970 from that point on she's got almost no less than like two movies a year every year through 1991 so i mean 91 had two movies 90 had three movies you know uh you have two in 88 or three in 88 and a couple in 87 and 86 so she's got usually at least two movies every single year from 71 to 91 so that's like that's a pretty solid career just locally you know right yeah i mean like i said you know there could be you know both explanations we can't ask her to know for sure but you know yeah. you know a bit you know a busy domineering work schedule in a local market that has won acclaim throughout the country versus you know testing the waters in a foreign market that you're not very familiar with. Yeah. You know, I can't say for sure that that wouldn't have been a factor, but it could have been, you know, a second or a second or third line on the marks of, you know, why should I, why should I go if, if I'm working as much as I am here? So. And she's done lots of movies, including, you know, like you said, many horror movies, uh, the queen of black magic, which was recently remade. She was in the original uh, version of that film. Mm-hmm. too. Yeah, um, she was in, um, you know, White Alligator Queen, um, Mystery at Mount Serapi. Uh, um, there's a, a few others, but I'm, you know, in no position to really say, you know, which one to watch because I haven't seen those since they're not subtitled versions, um, at least the versions I found on YouTube. So that was the reason why I picked this one. And like I said, Bill, unfortunately, I should have done a better job confirming it was a uh, workable copy of the film. But yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And there there were some copies that were in really good condition. They just didn't have any subs on them. Yeah, that was the that's what I was saying. I was like, I was when I was checking the films, I was checking around. It's like, OK, there's like five or six versions of the year. One of these damn things has to be workable. And I scroll through and okay this one yeah this one's got no subs check this one okay yeah this one's only got indonesian subs okay this one's got no subs this one's got no subs finally this one here is like oh god you know english subs you know and you know put it on the list and move on to the next one like i and i probably should have done a better job but uh 
So basically, um, getting into the film, yeah, uh, the film concerns her. Or, well, first of all, I think we should probably start with the title because I think the title may <laughs> need some explanation, um, especially for those. Right, that one are, of the translations is "prostitute with a hole inside of her." <laughs> right. No, um, I was gonna get to that. Um, for those of you that are unfamiliar, uh, the term "sundel belong" um, in the film it's credited as one word, but. In local vernacular, I think they use two words, Sundel and Bolong. So Sundel, like Nathan just alluded to, is the term for prostitute or whore or sex worker, what have you. And the term Bolong means with a hole. Now, in Indonesian folklore, what happens is Sundel Bolongs are a ghost but they're created in very specific, there's very specific requirements that are needed for a person to become reborn as a Sundel Bolong. So first, obviously, is, you know, the horror aspect of it. You know, you have to be considered a promiscuous person. You have to be pregnant at the time of your death, either knowingly or otherwise, you have to be pregnant and the third quality is, you know, the traditional gold standard. You have to die, you know, tragically or in a state of rage. You know, it may be worded differently, but that's generally, the, you know, you have to hit all three marks to be, to be qualified. And if you haven't guessed by now, the term, you know, ghost with a hole in its back refers to a physical person that has a gaping hole in the back, which signifies where the fetus broke out of the body and is still laying in the ground where the person, you know, in their, per in their burials, in their grave. And, you know, you know, they go around killing people that murdered them, you know, the state of their rage. And essentially that's what we get here. Um, there's several films that have tackled this legend, including a remake of this film, actually, starring um, one of the, I think the lead actress from May the Devil Take You is actually, the, I think, the lead in that one. I haven't seen it, so I can't say, but this was actually remade recently, just like um, just like Satan Slaves and just like uh, Queen of Black Magic. That one was also remade. I don't think it's got the same fanfare because very few of are aware of the fact that it's a remake, but um, yeah, that one was uh, also remade. And like I said, I think the lead from May the Devil Take You was the lead in that one. Cool. Yeah. But um, anyways. So why, I was, was going to say, why is this such an iconic film? The reason for this one is uh, this is one of the first breakout hits for Susanna. This was um, one of the films that just, it chartered her career and this was the one that I can't say for certain if there were other films that came before, but this is, you know, the Halloween role. This is the one that put her on the map and was the one that was like, okay, audiences like her in these kinds of roles. Let's cast her in the queen of black magic. Let's cast her in the white alligator river. Let's cast her in, you know, these villainous, female led roles and was the one that just sort of sparked the obsession and the fascination with her in the genre. This is uh, the first of the big hits that she had to her name. 
So awesome. Yeah. So tell us what it's about. So uh, the film basically um, features um, this woman. Um, I forget which one is her as the person. I think it's Shinti, right? That's the first name she goes by. Because she has two names. I, I, I get the two confused because this was one of the first ones I saw. Uh, well, in the credits. Yeah, Alisa, Hendarto, and I, Shinta. Yeah. Okay, so Lisa was the first one? Alisa, okay. yeah. Alisa, Alisa, okay, yeah. I, I, I got the two names confused. But um, anyways, Alisa is uh, engaged to be married. Uh, she's basically, you know, on her honeymoon with her husband when he finds out that she was once a local prostitute and kicks her to the curb and lets a group of thugs rape her. Now, during the course of this, the one of the thugs ends up impregnating her, which turns out to be the death knell for her husband. Like, he doesn't want anything to do with her anymore. Mm. He's like, be gone with you. I have no business anymore. You're dead to me. And she ends up killing herself, unaware of the fact that she's now become pregnant. So, you know, the local burial ceremony arises and she's, you know, put to put into her you know, her grave and, you know, everybody moves on with their lives until all of a sudden the various thugs start dropping one by one and nobody can explain why. And eventually it transpires that everyone remembers the legend of the Sundel Bolong. And that's what happens here because Elisa has returned from the grave, calling herself Shinta to integrate herself into their ranks and to sort of move undetected. And has been the one that's been killing them all along. And it's a race to stop her curse from continuing and consuming everyone around her. So I had a lot of fun with this. I think this is probably one of the, the, the mixes between gothic atmosphere and just sheer balls out insanity. And it's a fun mixture and I had an absolute blast with it. I can't say that this is a good film. A lot of the special effects here are very chintzy, very cheap, very, very obviously, you know, done on the fly. Just, okay, let's just get this thing in the can and let's move on to the rest of our shoots. But uh, if it's not engaging and, you know, I got to say a lot of it rests on, you know, Susanna. She is just an absolutely compelling person to follow you know, whether it's as Elisa or whether it's as Shinta, she's somebody that I want to follow. And a lot of this, I think, comes from it being so close to the er the early 70s, where you still had like the Vincent Price sort of formula where you followed the villain in the film rather than you followed the victims. The victims were people that you got a name or you, you know, you you knew who they were, but you didn't follow them. Whereas when you look at, you know, the Michael Myers, the Freddy, you know, the Freddy and the Jasons and all of those films, you followed the victims. And then, you know, the killer showed up, you know, periodically to dispatch them, but you never followed them. You never got into their daily lives. You never got to know who they were before their, you know, the incident that made them who they are. You just followed. Right. You followed the people. Whereas here you're following the girl, you're following her story. You feel for her, you know, when she's as the universal monsters formula. Exactly. 
yeah, it's very old school. And you get to follow her trials and tribulations and, you know, her wanting to, you know, be the proper wife, but she's, you know, her backpack, her history catches up with her and she's thrown to the wolves and, you know, she's raped and tortured, humiliated, and she's just basically left to die all because of one indiscretion in her past that, you know, maybe she had some control over, maybe not, but it, you know, she becomes a tragic figure in life that becomes a horrific monster in death. And it's a very, very, it's a, it's a concept I really like and I wish more would do, would play with it more, but it makes for a very fun time. And I really enjoyed it for that. So uh, what do you guys have to say? What did you think of it, Nathan? I actually haven't seen this one yet. This was the one title that I had, uh, that and Made the Devil Take You Too, that I hadn't seen, and I just didn't get around to seeing it. I know you saw it, um, Bill, but I haven't seen it. But it sounds it, awesome, and I plan to watch it. It's it, it was an interesting film. I, I I have a take on it. I wonder what Don thinks of it. I basically considered this a supernatural rape revenge film. I can buy that. Yeah, that's yeah. No, that's kind of my. Yeah. I mean, you, you, uh, when you cut it right down to it, she goes after those that were involved in her rape. <laughs> that's really what she comes down to. Yeah. And my other takeaway is, boy, boy, does she love satay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, um, Nathan. When you watch the movie, you're going to get that joke a lot more than you do now. <laughs> <laughs> well i was reading a small review of it so i saw some references there and i was like oh okay um, the, the, the way i put it is and, and as you were saying earlier don it was remade in 2018 as Susanna buried alive yeah that's yeah, I, I saw that. yeah i saw that so the, the the character obviously is ingrained enough in their culture because when i typed in uh Sundal bolong there were many references to it. So, it, you know, it's it's obviously something that people widely know about in that country. I also made a point of earlier in the film, before she dies, she knows that she's pregnant and she wants to get an abortion. And the doctor there basically says, I, I will not, I cannot. It goes against basically God's orders. And I wondered if that was a societal comment on the impact of religion uh, to their society. Like, I know it's a mainly Muslim country, but there is a minority of Catholicism to it. Yeah, that was... So I wonder what you thought of that. Well, that was one thing that I'm not too familiar with because I'm not religious in any sense, but I do have, like, working ideas of most of them. Muslim and the Islamic faith are ones that I'm not very familiar with. Um, not necessarily just like in a general sense, but like their practices and their general beliefs and stuff like that. Uh, I can't say for sure whether or not it is a take. Um, I would imagine just based on the few bits of knowledge I have with, you know, the willingness to be as extremist in their beliefs as they are. I can't imagine abortion would be you know a frowned up would be like you know an accepted piece of their you know culture uh, you know again you know you know the other thing to take into account is that it's nearly a 40 year old film cultural values may have changed over time 
So it, you know, it, you know, that, that, that's, you know, the un- other unfortunate thing about that is, you know, being as old as it is, you know, perhaps cultural values and norms have changed, maybe not. But at the time it was made because I wasn't there, I can't say for sure. But a general idea is that just based on, you know, their extremism and their fanaticism, I can't imagine abortion would be something that they would be willing and accepting in society. Uh, that, you know, again, that's unfortunately as best as I can provide. Yeah. The other knowledge I have, I know that Muslim, you know, doesn't really directly comment on abortion, but I will uh, defer to your uh, inclination towards that. And Catholicism does have a minority in the country. Right. And uh, we were, were really well known about what their stances are. So I'm just I'm just wondering if it was, you know, a subtle shot at organized religion by the director. Yeah, it sure. may have been. I wouldn't put it past him. But, you know, unfortunately, like I said earlier, you know, a 40, a nearly 40 year old film that I wasn't around in the culture personally to experience what their acceptance level was towards that. You know, I can't say for sure, but I wouldn't put it past them to be, you know, that that could very well be a case where that, you know, what you're saying could be true. But like, you know, yeah. Yeah, the other, yeah, the other thing I noticed in the film, you know, there's a lot of comedic elements to the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. There's lots of uh, <laughs> silly comedic effects. There's many scenes where they speed up the film. Yeah, where there, <laughs> people are zipping around. Yeah, like like there are scenes where where Susanna is floating in the air, and and then she's really floating in the air. She's <laughs> zipping Buzzing. around. So yeah. I, and at times I even put there's an evil dead feel at times with a low budget, uh, the certain type of effects. And there's a few shots during the night in the forest. So you kind of mm-hmm. get that bit of a feel to it. And there was a very interesting effect towards the end. All I'll say is flying forearms. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it was an interesting film. It was a fun film. I wish I got a little bit more in terms of uh, the um, words they were saying, but I gave this a solid six and a half to a seven out of 10. Yeah. Um, I'm not actually far behind. Um, I, like I said, I wish I would have actually been able to, you know, understand what was going on a little better because I think, you know, the version we saw makes, you know, interpreting this thing a little bit more difficult than what it should be. I have enough fun with it that it's not necessarily too bad of a film. Maybe I would come in, I, I would say like an eight, eight and a half ish in that range. Um, I would probably bump it up a little bit more if I knew what was going on. But um, as it stands on this viewing, I, I'd, I'd give it an eight, eight and a half. And I will say that the scene where we find that she's died from basically a homemade abortion gets pretty bloody yeah i will say that yeah there's it's a little bit um you know italian red soup blood kind of a thing but yeah uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a sight when you first encounter it so so nathan i think you're really gonna enjoy this one when you get to it yeah Yeah, i've got it on the list and i intended to watch i just didn't get quite around to because there's so many other uh things going on but i do look forward to catching up with it and like say it was one of the only ones on the list that uh, don sent that i hadn't got to 
to see, but I wanted to go back and rewatch some of the ones we were covering. But it looks it looks cool, and it's uh, I think that it's always fun to go back and see some of these from the seventies and the eighties, particularly when they're trying to combine a couple different things like stuff that's scary and stuff that's a little bit silly. There's a lot of those and it's, it's, they aren't necessarily, they don't always necessarily come off as good movies, but I, the ones I've seen have all had a lot of energy to them. Yeah. That helps definitely when it's not just a slog to, you know, when it's just like a really drab and kind of lifeless affair that, kind of just picks up when something's happening you know you have like a really like lively time to it and this like bonkers energy that definitely helps so yeah and the and the things that you're saying about this the sympathetic monster that bonkers energy kind of does remind me i know we're talking about thailand but the Bapparatri movie the original Mm -hmm. anyway had that had all those elements too so yeah yeah it's been a while since i've seen that one but yeah from what I remember, I think, yeah, you're pretty spot on because it's very much, you know, love story meets bonkers, ghost film meets, you know, slapstick comedy. So. Yeah. She gets used, abused, left to die, and in the pain and the sadness basically concentrate themselves as a, as a specter, as a force that's, you know, uh, taking names and uh, settling scores. Only does so via Three Stooges. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, <laughs> and a couple it's, points it's, there it's, too. Yeah, it's a it's a conversation for another time. Yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, where would you like to go next, Don? All right. Um, well, since we've covered one Indonesian legend, uh, let's cover another one. Let's do the real Pokong. Yeah. Um, so uh, again, for those of you that are unfamiliar with uh, the term in the film's title, a uh, little backstory here. So a pokong is a um, a ghost in Indonesian mythology that, much like a sundel belong, has uh, specific qualities that must be met in order to become one. Um, although this one here has far less, um, there's far less qualifications. It's essentially how a person <laughs> is buried. Um, so if you're familiar with Indonesian mythology, with Indonesian burial rites or, you know, the society at large, what happens when a person is buried in Indonesia is they're not buried in a coffin the way we in America or Europe are buried. They're buried in a ceremonial gown or like a shrouded cloth, piece of cloth. Um, they're tied up, they're tied up inside. It's a full body it's it's full encompassing it covers their entire body and you tie it up at the head and then that's lowered into the ground and you're that's where you're buried now unfortunately if the burial shroud is improperly tied or if it's loosened somehow 40 days after they're buried they have the power to emerge from the grave and become a pokong which is the term means shrouded ghost, which refers to the cloth that they're buried in. So, um, oh, with that out of the way, um, as for uh, the film, it kind of starts off like a normal haunted house film. Uh, this family, you know, mother, father, and their young daughter move out to the countryside in order to, uh, you know, get away from the city life, but to also you know, move into their first house. It's, you know, the first house they're able to afford. They're basically, you know, just 
it's the you know the only thing they can afford but the daughter seems strangely terrified of the surrounding area she claims that there's something there nobody knows what she's talking about nobody believes her um well, the only thing that she has to calm herself down is this strange cat which unfortunately she loses immediately uh, during the course of which she ends up meeting this strange neighbor who tells her the story about this you know, the former inhabitants which you know freaks everybody out later that night she ends up getting abducted she gets entranced by this strange unearthly sound song and led out into the woods and vanishes from sight nobody knows where she is now the mother wants to bring in a medium to figure out what's going on the father's against it because you know i'm city man i don't believe in such mysticism but they are able to determine that she's been abducted into the other world that she's been led astray by someone with malicious intent and she's able to she's able to track them down but she's not able to find her so it's up to the husband to go into the other world and find his daughter and bring her back which he does but did he really come back alone and is it really him hmm you'll just have to watch and find out but uh yeah um so the reason with this one is pure plain and simple uh this was one of the only films i found from this time period with subtitles on youtube so uh <laughs> this was basically just a you know a fill in the gap it was a first time watch uh for me yeah. it was basically yeah this was a first time watch and it's basically just i i had stuff from the 80s i had stuff from the 2010s i didn't have anything from the 2000s to 2009s which kind of alluded to what i was saying earlier about not necessarily having a lot of you know the country doesn't necessarily have a lot of input from that kind of time period you know internationally and while searching this was one of the only things i found with subtitles so i was like yeah why not what can hurt um essentially i kind of enjoyed it um it's you know not the most original you're gonna you know find shades of about 20 or 30 different films in here but it's not the worst thing out there. Um, I enjoy the family built family relationship at the very beginning. Um, you get, you know, very strongly defined characters at the very beginning, you know, father's the hard headed, you know, stubborn stick to his guts kind of a type. Mother's a little bit more sympathetic and endearing daughters, just this, you know, curious wide eyed. I'm going to, you know, just wander into situations aimlessly, regardless of what's going on. But, I'm, you know, going to get terrified at the end of it and I'm going to rely on my parents kind of a thing. It's not, like I said, it's not the most original. Um, you're going to pretty much guess a lot of the jump scares pretty easily because this makes it pretty obvious when the ghost is going to arrive. But it still held my attention. I still had um, enough, I still had an enjoyable time with it. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a high watermark of the country. It's probably more of what I would like to call like a middle ground kind of an affair where it's, you know, it's not bad, but it's not, you know, essential by any means. But um, I've seen worse. Um, what did you guys think? 
I think that's uh yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of a fair way to put it is that it, and in fact, some ways it may be even more appealing to someone who wants to check some of these movies out, but wants mm-hmm. something a little bit more in the mainstream, you know, or yeah. uh, is more familiar with mainstream horror because this does coming in 2009, a couple of years before the insidious movie, in some ways it covers everything that happens in insidious one and two <laughs> in some ways, yeah. you know, I was watching yeah. something and hey, yeah. this says, this is the whole story arc. <laughs> it's kind of weird. And, uh, but not in it. in like, while some of it has an almost sort of, uh, you know, I think if we were to get from the American perspective, it almost has a TV movie quality to some of it. There are some pretty um, atmospheric shots and act as, excuse me, atmospheric shots, atmospheric setting. Uh, And some of the parts I enjoy the most were the buildup to the jump scares. Like you said, they aren't, they're they're intentionally laid out and prefigured for you, but in such a way that the lead up to them is almost always more interesting. There's one particular scene that really was, I thought was quite creepy and kind of encapsulated what I liked most about this movie. And it has that element too. You have, I like that there is some conflict between the father who kind of wants to reject this a little bit. There is that idea, that matter of factness, that the supernatural exists and it's real and it might come and take you. And that that colors those early scenes with the little girl. I I like that some of this movie is really seen through her eyes. There's a scene when she's exploring around the house and the and the kind of creepy shed that's behind, you know, the property. And then she comes to like it's the well and the water that water bubble that's that's kind of coming up from the bottom, and you have no idea what's making that water bottle that water bubble up and it get, it's getting bigger and bigger. And that buildup is far more like creepy and unsettling than the, uh, the eventual jump scare. You know, I yeah. almost wanted just the water bubble and the movies almost enjoyed more in that sensory level. The story's fine, but it kind of starts to repeat itself after a while. There are a couple times where I thought, Oh, it's over. And then it, it started again yeah. and it's over and it started again. And in an American film, it would have been the, jump scare cut the black and the movie would have been over i'm like nope they're gonna see this through through to the very very end yeah um but i did enjoy it i I had fun yeah yeah i was gonna say i really enjoyed this film i i will say i agree completely with nathan i enjoyed the first two acts more than the last act yeah i did too but having said that i did find i did find it an enjoyable experience uh, one thing about this film, like, there was little to no information on IMDb or anywhere else. So I pretty much went into this, I wouldn't say blind, but going in with a fairly clean slate. So I liked that about that. Not that I really knew anything about any of these others, but other than Lady Terminator. <laughs> I, there was a couple things I I noticed about the film. It sets a good mood in, in this film. There's kind of a, what I termed a low-key, creepy atmosphere. Like, it wasn't over the top. It didn't have overly dramatic music. It didn't have, like, uh, a rainstorm and the thunder rolling. This one just kind of built and crept up. And one thing I did like about this, that I wish some North American or, or European movies would take note of, there was a nice use of a minimal soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It what there wasn't that this filmmaker did not feel the need to always fill the space with ominous music. Sometimes stuff just happened without or <laughs> screaming uh, violin chords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or you know, like as much as I love 
you know, as much as I love Carpenter and those kind of things, they, they almost feel the need sometimes to every moment has to have uh, a, a piano piece that tells the tale. Right. This didn't. This did when it felt necessary. So I really liked that. It's that naturalization uh, the other, of the horror element again, where it's just yeah. natural that it happens. Yeah. It's basically what the music you hear is what you would be playing in your own head. Yeah. As something were to be happening. The other nice thing I found about is this. I think he was a local handyman. The guy at the beginning in the forest, he's your harbinger of doom. Whenever he shows up, he's, he knows something, you know, something's going down and he's kind of warning the audience that something's happening. And they obviously take some tropes from North American films in that way. And I like how the film doesn't overplay the supernatural element or until the end, it doesn't go nearly as over the top. Like even Ringu or, you know, like a poltergeist, like they're way over the top. This one doesn't do that until the last act, which I wasn't quite as fond as. You know, there's a scene involving fire towards the end, and I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's um, almost like a I Val think... Luton understatedness. Yeah. Um, I, no, I, I was going to say, I think a lot of um, what Bill was saying with the third act, I think the third act just feels like a completely different film altogether. It doesn't have... Yeah. The, yes. it doesn't. It doesn't have that understated kind of just like slow bird naturalistic feel that the first half does it feels a little bit more you know like a for lack of a better term a little bit more grandiose you know you have yeah. like the chasing going around that you know it may feel a little bit pedantic but you know it's not necessarily in keeping with what had been brought up before where it was subtleness it was a little bit more like an under like an unnerving quality and I think a lot of, like I said, the, the third act is kind of where it was sort of like, this doesn't necessarily feel right. And then, you know, like you were saying earlier with, you know, the film just not, you know, it should have ended, it should have ended. I I think this had two or three endings that it could have done if it would have actually, if the mother would have actually paid attention to the daughter to begin with. Like, okay, let's not forget. Yes, there's a lot of that. <laughs> Yeah, okay, like I like the main thing here is she returned from the afterworld. Like this is, you know, not necessarily something that everybody goes through. You know, she's telling you something's it'd wrong. It'd be like people telling like, Carol Ann to shut up after she's been Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think a lot of that plays into the third act, but no, I, I definitely agree. I I really like the first two-thirds and i was kind of glad that i went into this as blind as i did because this was a first time watch and like i said this was just something that okay you know i need to find something you know between 80s and you know 80s and today and this was the the first one that popped up on youtube that had english subtitles so i was like okay yeah good enough but yeah, not another bad positive i found i was gonna say another positive i found is i thought the uh, young female in the film was actually pretty strong I thought her acting was fairly decent for what she was. Yeah, she doesn't go into histronics. The fact that she sort of calmly, no. for the most part, you know, she does get freaked out. But like when she when she's aware that certain things are off in the family after going through all this other stuff, it's uh, it's interesting how sort of just like mat again matter of fact and uh, you know pragmatic she becomes. I don't know about you, Nathan, because you have a young daughter. 
my daughter would not have been that calm. Like, no, no, mine way. either. And you know, and it's funny, I think they have in the kids thing. One of the moments that I thought, even though it was very lo-fi, that was super creepy, is there's a scene when they're in the woods and you are seeing other children and they're all just disappearing one by one. And uh, even as low-key and as kind of, you know, uh, analog as that was effects-wise, it was very effective to me. And I think it's, you know, talk about feeling like it could have ended earlier and that that third act. The problem is this movie is it's its own self and its sequel and it's ramped up over overblown sequel in the same movie. You know, the last 30 minutes yeah. are essentially the part two that tries to outdo the first movie. Yeah. The, the, the feeling I got from the ending was, you know, like if you work for a, a corporate company and they have a budget and you have to use all the money up or else you won't get that much next time. <laughs> so they've got 30% of their budget left. There's 20 minutes of film. Oh shit. Let's, continue and spend as much as we can for yeah. that last 20 minutes well i think that's where the templates poltergeist you know that again yeah. no real spoilers here but poltergeist kind of wraps up a central story and then it, you know grant they've got the budget and the kind of skill to go ahead and give you the the wild out there you know pyrotechnical finale and they didn't quite get that here yeah no not quite but you could tell that that's kind of what they were going for yeah i give this one a six i enjoyed it I, I I gave this a seven. I, I, was, I was gonna say I gave this a seven and a half. No, that's exactly what I was. I was again. I was another kind of bordering between seven, seven and a half. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, All right. Okay. So what's next on the uh, Indonesian hit list? All right. Um, I think the next one. Uh, why don't we try uh, just? We went subtle. Let's just go balls to the wall. Let's do Mystics in Bali. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Mystics in Bali. Uh, this is another early 80s one. Um, I think it's the same year as uh, Sundal Belong or the year before. Um, I've seen conflicting release dates for both of those. So I'm going to say it's right around the same time period. Yeah, it's either 71 or 72, I think. Or um, 80 or 82. 80, no, sorry, not 71 or 72. 81 yeah. or 82. It's 81 yeah. listed on uh, Letterboxd. Yeah. All right. So uh, in this one, we have a, another um, entry that uh, kind of talks a little bit about, um, we have, a you know, Shades of Lady Terminator. We have a student arriving in Indonesia to investigate local black magic rites. And uh, she ends up coming into contact with a woman who says that she is a practitioner of Liak black magic, which she claims is the most powerful black magic in the underworld. Being a dumbass, she follows through on her claims and decides <laughs> to teach her and, you know, decides to become a student under her, but is unaware of the fact that the woman needs a successor in order to carry out her plans of revenge against the local village which shunned her, including the fateful turning into a Penangolan, a local beast of Indonesian folklore that essentially turns her into a floating head that drains the blood of pregnant women and other objects. And uh, essentially turns into a race to stop her before both can carry out their devious plans. Uh, so um, 
I cannot let any kind of into any kind of uh, scholarly take on Indonesian cinema go through without mentioning this one because this is every bit as wild as Lady Terminator, but ramped up even more. This is easily, I would say, one of the most out there, over the top, obscure gem, whatever you want to call it, kind of a movie. Uh, I absolutely have a blast with this. This is a true, just, okay, let's just throw shit at the wall and let's just see where it goes. And I cannot thank the movie enough for doing that because this is, this is a, a favorite of mine and I have a, a very, very strong attachment to this one. So uh, before I get into that, I want to hear what you guys have to say. And Nathan, I can't wait to hear what you think of, think of this one. <laughs> I, you know, let me just start from the basic thing. I love this movie. I, and I, <laughs> I love it because of everything it does both right and wrong. This is, you'll see movies like this. And when you get into criticism, there's no point, particularly the movie like Mystics in Bali, directed by the same person who directed Lady Terminator, by the way. Mm. Uh, it, there's, except that this one is more uh, uh, original in a sense, and that's at least in the sense that it doesn't seem to be uh, outright attempting to copy any one thing. And it really delves into the Indonesian folklore in a very kind of sincere, but also extraordinarily nutty way. It just it goes for it and it doesn't pay any attention to whether it has the resources to pull it off. And it's what works about it is that it, it goes for it so uh, aggressively that the entire movie is, is addled in a really kind of fun and refreshing way from the very moment that this movie starts there, the, the sound design and the imagery is right up in your face, like half an inch away. Like, like you almost <laughs> want it to back up a little bit. And then, and it takes a couple minutes to get into that feel because that only amplifies all of the, the, the way they just, this is almost like watching a, it's like a circus crossed with a haunted house and then filtered through the wild energy of almost like a children's cartoon show, but it is, it is sort of a horror film and it's hard. The thing about it that sets it apart, like watching something in mystics in Bali, if I were to show you at five or six minutes of it, you might want to like connect it to another kind of really just off the wall, off kilter. Like you said, surrealistic, uh, let's throw things in there and see what happens with them. A movie like Su, you know, the Japanese mm. film from the seventies. Yeah. The difference is how Su is so is so spectacularly off the wall on purpose. It's purposely trying to be as stylistically avant garde and as ridiculous as it can be. I think it works, but it's purposely almost like Dada esque. You know, it is trying to be as disconnected from reality as possible. Mystics in Bali is almost weirder. Because it and um, there's an undercurrent of like we talked about before, the sensible idea that hey, this could possibly happen. You know, maybe you might end up as a floating head with all the organs. That's the other part. The head disconnects. It brings all the organs with it, and it looks like one of those things you go to is like all you can eat Brazilian steakhouses, and they bring the meat <laughs> around and just carve it off onto your plate. It's like that hanging out of the head hole. Yeah, <laughs> and she just sort of floats around. It looks it looks amazing. <laughs> 
But <laughs> I've never seen that before until uh, this film. And then what that head does, the horrible thing that that head goes out and does, uh, which I don't even want to get into because you just kind of need to see it. It's insane. But I'm talking about this movie like it's about a flying head with the organs because that's not the only thing that happens. What's kind of cool is the structure of this movie is that the witch you know, it almost, it's almost like the Disney movie Sword in the Stone when Merlin takes Arthur and they go on a trip and we're going to turn into squirrels and now we're going to turn into fish. You know, there's a whole sort of escalation of we're going to turn into pigs and snakes and at one point balls of fire. And <laughs> it just, it keeps upping the ante with the silliness. And I have to, I mean, if you go into this again, there's no point in pointing out that the special effects look cheesy or that the movie doesn't have a very coherent storyline. That's obvious to anybody with eyes. You don't need a critic <laughs> to tell you that. But that has nothing to do with how the movie works. It creates a world where the where the Leaks and Patagalongs and all these creatures exist because everything is pitched at this level that it all seems to make kind of a certain amount of sense. I mean, I didn't understand everything that happened in this movie, but I understanding is hardly necessary to enjoy it. I had a blast watching it. Yeah, uh, this is absolutely the kind of film that I wouldn't necessarily say is something that is, you know, you're going to sit down as a genuine, intense scholar and just, you know, critique what's going on in here. This is just, okay, no. yeah, you know, enough of that let's just have fun and let's just be wowed by what they managed to accomplish it's not going to look pretty it's not going to look technically skillful but it's going to be thrown up thrown in your face and it's going to be all the better for it because it's just that bonkers and bizarre and i mean i i haven't even talked about the finale which involves one of the earliest uses of what must be computer animation I've ever seen in a film. I mean, I don't understand why some people... <laughs> I've are... never seen it done like that before. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, th this has to have been some of the earliest computer animation. And, I, I mean, think about that for a second. A 1980s third world film that employs computer graphic animation for its finale. Let that sink in how good that's going to look. Like there was, at eighty one, which is before yeah. the you know Children of the Corn, Last Starfighters, Trons that we got here, those were all like eighty two and later. Yeah, like you know, we're, yeah, we're <laughs> we're beating that in a third world country that already used up its <laughs> already used up its budget making this floating head, <laughs> making this floating Correct. head. We've already made this floating head that goes around with its entrails dripping off underneath its body. We've already come up with, you know, exploding heads. And we've already come up with, you know, this uh, human to pig to back to human kind of, you know, full body costume. Now, let's take the budget that we have left over and let's throw that at a com at computer animation, figuring out the supernatural duel to the death that's going to take place. Like, this is just in no way, shape, or form what I would call competent filmmaking, but it's just enjoyable filmmaking. And yeah, I I absolutely love it. And anybody who is anybody... It is very that generous it, <laughs> yeah, in, its, anybody, in what it wants to give us. Yeah, anybody that I say is into like cult cinema or just 
out there, bizarre, over the top kind of cinema has to have this somewhere in their collection or at least in their watch history. Like, you know, this is not something I'm going to recommend to people that look at, you know, Hereditary or Lighthouse or Midsommar as like, you know, top of the line, what must be done in order to be good horror. This is something that I'm going to, you know, look at and say, okay, you think, you know, Asylum is nuts? Watch this. Well, and I, and I don't even view Asylum as, I know what you mean, I don't even view Asylum as nuts. This is, the thing about this is, I don't want these effects to look different than they do. Exactly, you know? yeah. And, and that's come from someone, I think that what we you can say is, you know, you can love all those movies, The Lighthouse, Hereditary, and things like that, but understanding that right. the swath of cinema is very wide, and this is achieving, in my mind, the goal of cinema. This is why I go to the movies. I go to the movies, you know, uh, Roger Ebert would say things like that. Like, yeah, I go to the movies to see movies like Citizen Kane. I also go to the movies to see things like Gamera and Anaconda, you know, that they're achieving. Mm-hmm. And Mystics of Bali achieves things through the movies that I don't think, you know, it, how else were you going to get this experience? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I know, unfortunately, that really sucks that you weren't able to include this one, Bill. I would have loved to have heard your take on this one. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a point of watching it, and in an upcoming episode, I will give my review, because this sounds like everything that I need and I love in a horror movie. <laughs> it's just, yeah. You know, off-the-wall gore, silly characters, floating things. It might be bad time to break out the gummies. Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll sit down after my daughter's gone to bed. I've got a weekend to myself. I'll have a gummy. I'll watch this and I'm going to start taking notes. Or, or, or better yet, I won't. Yeah. I just turn off the lights the, and watch. Yeah, don't bring the notebook out. Just take the gummy, keep the no. sound, <laughs> Just take the gummy, put the surround system put the put the sound the surround system up first. Take the gummy and then just sit back in your chair and experience this. <laughs> are, are, are you telling me this isn't a societal metaphor for something? Or... Well, it might be, but who cares? I, I... Don't even bother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a lot of yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, mean, and, okay, you know, you, know... And, you know, movies like this. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, movies like this are fun because. You, you know, you just take it for the wackiness and just enjoy. Don't think, just enjoy. Yeah. Let me give you a point here, like a, a reference point, Bill. You remember earlier this year, we I, I got you to watch Chinese Ghost Story. Oh yes. So take yes, that yes. with okay. the giant tongues and everything, and multiply it by like eight, and then you have this movie. <laughs> yeah, I um, definitely am going to watch it. I, you know, I. Is this one you can you know watch on a first date or something? You know, is that that kind of movie? Depends on your date. I've always said that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can watch a Serbian film on your first date. It just depends on the kind of girl you're with. The what kind of this woman is, is going to stay yeah. with you after that is a different question entirely. But yeah, you and can. Do you show... want to fall asleep around that woman? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really curious what, what you two rate this. What do you give us as a rating? As a piece of cinema in the echelon of the fine tradition, including Citizen Kane, Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, what have you, this is probably like a one, one and a half at best. In the sense of, hey guys, I found this weird thing, you gotta check this shit out. Break out the beers, I'll get the the pizza, you guys just sit back and take this in. This is at least a nine, maybe even higher. (laughs) 
So Nathan, go with your heart, not with your head. Yeah. Oh man. Well, see, I'm gonna I'm doing the critic thing and I'm splitting the difference there. Um, but I I I gave like rated on 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 Letterbox. I'm at about like at a seven point five. But you know, like if you're going for like you said, you can give it a whole extra star if you're going for just that wild, crazy, you know, schlock that it is. So uh, 7.5, but if it's if the schlock experience, it's like an 8.5. And I will say I like Mystics and Bali better than Gone with the Wind. <laughs> so there's your pull quote. Fair point. Forget the Fair rating. Point. Take that as your pull quote. No, yeah, that will be the one on the back of the DVD. Better than Gone with the Wind. Hey, I made waves in this community by claiming Sharknado was better than The Godfather. So I think you've got a ways to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've literally yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I've no, um, there's there's audio proof of that out in the out in the internet. I've literally said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that Asylum didn't latch onto it immediately and put it at the top of the you know poster. Yeah. <laughs> Not that they uh, need that, you know. Yeah, um, but uh, I mean, from here, I think it's only fair that we wrap this up and we include. Um, conclude our tour we conclude ourselves with um, I would say the most recent film on the list um, Mystics and Bali being the oldest I think we need to look at the recent queen of black magic yeah yeah let's do that yeah absolutely okay so um, this is uh, like I said a recent film this is 2020 or 2021, depending on what market you're in. Um, if you're in Indonesia or various other Asian countries, it was released last year. But for us Americans and uh, in you know the Western side of the world, we got it earlier, uh, 2021 on Shutter. So widely available, um, you know, easy to find. Uh, directed by Kimo Stambowell, um, as I mentioned, the other half of uh, the Mo Brothers with Timo Jajanto. But um, so uh, the film concerns a uh, man and his family who are heading out to a uh, remote orphanage out in the countryside with uh, various other classmates of his that uh, were involved in a uh, class of uh, orphans that were adopted from the orphanage to uh, pay respects to uh, their former, uh, the former owner of the establishment who's fallen on ill health and is about to pass. So they get together, they're going to hold a, you know, get together reunion, what have you, just catch up, pay their respects and be there for the man that saved their lives when they were kids who's about to pass on. But strange things start occurring. Uh, they start noticing that uh, friends who are going off to uh, check for supplies haven't returned. Uh, strange incidents are heard throughout the night. And soon enough, um, several of their family members start breaking out into strange, uh, what you would call supernatural afflictions where one is forced to uh, claw at their hands and their arms and legs because they claim that there's something wrong with them that they need to remove the ugliness for the beauty to shine through. Or some person is suddenly forced to vomit up maggots and centipedes and other strange animals. (laughs) Um, Which uh, alerts everyone to a... uh, 
dark secret that emerges uh, from deep within the bowels of the building involving who the uh, who the original owner actually was, what kind of a person he really was. And the special connection all of the people there uh, have to this young girl who uh, mysteriously died at the facility, but nobody was ever able to remember who she was or why she died. But by the end of the night, they'll all remember the queen of black magic and why she's a force to be reckoned with. So basically I chose this one then, you know, I watched the original um, for comparison's sake, but I chose this one here essentially because this is, I think one of Indonesia's crown jewels. This is uh, just as much of a film that can stand toe to toe with American films as I, I would put this up against anything that America has made in the last 10 years. This is, easily i would say one of the finest horror films of the decade it is chilling it is gruesome it is just absolutely hard-hitting and vicious and relentless to a degree that very few genuine horror films i've seen have ever managed to to accomplish and i'm just dying to hear what you guys think of this one well unfortunately this is one i have not seen yet so given your talk about it and your play up of the film it is what could it be included in the 221 list or would it oh, have absolutely been last yeah year? it's a it's a definitely 221 if you go by um when it was released because it was released in february on shutter so it's definitely yeah. oh, okay so that's why i haven't seen it yet yeah um so you can absolutely claim this as a 2021 like i said it just depends on the market because the local indonesian release was uh november it was either november or december of last year but then it was a quick turnaround to get it to america because we got it in february so yeah it's you can easily put this as a 2021 film so this is one that potentially should be in my top 10 Uh, i have this in my top five no spoilers Okay, no spoilers. Yeah, no, no spoilers. Absolutely. So I look forward to this. I have no spoilers. I have this in my top five. Uh, Nathan, what about you? So we talk a lot about, and in fact, uh, this is, I guess, spoilers for the podcast, not for the for the the movie. That we have an upcoming episode where we're going to be talking about full car and witches, and you know, I guess in a way, all these Indonesian movies really are full car, right? Because they deal yeah. specifically <laughs> with the legends and the mythology of the. Uh, you know, kind of um, the local villages. However, this one really, like you said, you talk about putting up against sort of the uh, North American movies and things like that. It delves into witches and it does deal with the the kind of black magic mythology of Indonesia, but it, it gives you this witch character in this film. And I, uh, I actually haven't seen the old queen of black magic, but this movie and the witch that's in this film is terrifying, like legitimately mm-hmm. a scary uh, piece of work. This is a this is a horror villain and a half right here. Uh, I think a lot of the the movie itself is brutal and effective, but this I, I, I it's hard to imagine the movie without the witch at the center of it. And uh, part of the thing that happens is. You know, I think we see so many movies like The Witch and other films where, you know, the, the witches are evil, 
but there are often reasons for why they're that way. And not that there isn't a reason here, but you know, sometimes they are viewed in a sympathetic way or the film is trying to sort of make a kind of, uh, they're using the witch as a metaphor, uh, a lot of times for female empowerment, things like that. And here, this is just a scary ass, brutal witch <laughs> that, that, uh, you don't want any part of it. This is a person with a grudge against a group of people, the means to accomplishment, and no barrier or, you know, force that's going to stop them from carrying it out. Like, this is a person you do not want to cross. There is no moral compunction left. Yeah. Any kind of element of basic humanity, of any kind of basic compassion or remorse. Any sense of consciousness arguing against doing this has been completely eroded. So this is a person that is able to make your darkest nightmares come true, the desire to pull it out, and the absolute will to do so. Yeah. The, yeah, there's no third act talk them down and appeal to their tragic nature. <laughs> None of that's going right. on here. This movie's <laughs> this movie is both fun and it is it's it's brutal and it's intense. Um and it's a good horror movie. Um I I liked it quite a bit. And I think that it does show when you pull the pieces together, because this is a, this is a well-directed movie. There's only a couple of things. There's there's some overuse of CGI where I just like, why yeah. do we need CGI for some of that? Um, yeah. it's, it hardly, don't take that as a major point against it, anyone who's listening. But it's just that one little, because these effects, these things that I'm looking at, like it didn't need to be done. It just didn't need to be done that way. And it briefly, but to, let me put a comparison point. It's like a, a, a great movie like Let the Right One In. There's a sequence involving cats in that. I'm like, why are there CGI cats? But that hardly takes away anything from how good Let the Right One is. And right, I yeah. think that's a similar thing here where it's a small little complaint. It's yeah, that's a, that's a great comparison. I like that. Yeah, that's definitely the way I would look at it too where it's not necessarily one that draws you out of it. It's just one of those, ugh, why do they do that? But then the rest yeah, of the it draws film, you out for like a second, but then and it it's jumps like, you right back in. Yeah, it's like one of those where you're like, "Oh, why did they do that?" But then it's like the like two seconds later, it's like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, you're on to something else. You're like, "Oh no, Staples!" You know, <laughs> it's like, and, yeah. and and not the supply store. Uh, no. <laughs> but this, um, <laughs> I, I, and I, uh, I enjoyed it, and I usually, you know, it it is it does get intense. Uh, and it is kind of, you know, if you're not a fan of the insects, maybe. Yeah, this is liberal with uh, liberal. Yeah, this is liberal. This has liberal usage of them. And it, it's, it's a great effect yes. because it's not necessarily a sense in the scene that they come out. And I, I don't want to spoil this for Bill much more than I want to. So I'm going to try to keep this as vague as possible. But the scene where they come out, they're used for shock effect. But they're used only as shock effect. It's it doesn't overwhelm it overwhelms you with a visual of what's going on, but it doesn't keep it going. It just uses them as a shock effect, and it, it just adds to the atmosphere incredibly well. Yeah, and the other thing I'll say here is you get into this with these characters, like you're in this pressure cooker with these characters and with this atmosphere, and it's everything is sort of firing on all the 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 cylinders and i'm not i'm not really a fan of when you get into all the really gratuitous uh you know where it's really kind of brutal violence a lot of times unless it's done 
with a with a particular sort of um, skill, and it is done that way here. This is a very skillful horror film, and I enjoyed as much as anything I've seen come out of Indonesia. And I I, I do I give this one um, right up there, kind of with uh, with May the Devil Take You. Like this is an this is like an eight or eight. You know, this is more like an eight point five for me. I really liked it. It will be probably in my uh, in my top 10 because it's one of the few horror movies this year that actually is kind of uh, did kind of scare me a little bit, you know, not like yeah. that, like made me afraid to turn the light on kind of thing. But in the moment when you're in the, when you're in the universe, the movies created for you, it's intense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I have this at 9.5. Um, I probably would go higher if I wanted to, but that, yeah, no, this is absolutely uh, I mean, may the devil take you is probably, I would say a little bit more fun, but this one is just yeah. This one is just this might be the better horror movie. Yeah, this is May the Devil Take You. I would say is a better made movie, but this one yeah. I would say is a much more vicious and intense horror film. And yeah, um, I absolutely would have no qualms recommending this to anyone looking to fill out their list or fill out in the gaps of what they've missed. And that's one of the reasons why I included it. Um, uh, for comparison's sake, I, I did see the original. Um, the original version focused on her. It focused on the oh, actual... Okay. So the uh, in the very beginning of the film, um, the, the difference with that one is if the, the, she's branded as a witch for something she didn't do, but the villagers have had it out for her from the very beginning. So they see something and they're like, oh, she did it. So they go to kill her and they think they do, but she survives. And this um, local, this local black, um, local black magician takes her in and trains her in the use of black magic. And then she goes out and starts killing everybody using these black magic things. So it's much more in the vein of like a, um, it's kind of like a Sundel Bolong in the sense of, you're not necess- You're getting much more um, into her, and it follows um, her route more than the victims, like we do here, where you know you get things happening to them which are terrifying and visceral and intense. You get that in the original, but it's more you see her doing it, kind of a thing. Like that's where I was gonna go with that, because it, it you know again it's another one of her films. It's you know um, another one of Susanna's films. So, you know, you're following her throughout the film more than you're following who she's killing off. So that's sort of where I was. Um, that's sort of like what I, I wanted to compare because it's been a while since I've seen the original. So I wanted to just like have the original fresh in my mind. So um, and I like the shift here because I think it allows her to be a one of the things I don't that I didn't really emphasize is there is a sense of mystery, almost like a whodunit element to the story that a little bit more than you might be expecting. You know, it's a slower build. It's not that there aren't horrific things happening, but it does take time to kind of lay this mystery and the horror out. And I like that it's coming from that other perspective of the characters to which it's happening to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, unfortunately we can't uh, get Bill's intake on this, but, um, there were a couple of other films. Um, anybody see, uh, Satan slaves or the original, um, the original of the remake of that one. I watched, I, I, I watched the original. Ah, okay. Yeah. I had seen, I've seen both. I've seen, yeah. I, I, yeah. I've seen the, I've seen the 2017, but 
to be honest, until you brought it to my attention, I didn't realize it was. Uh, I don't like saying remake, a reimagining, you know, a reinterpretation. Oh, you want to see the original? So first? I, yeah, I well, I'd seen the, I saw the the 2017. I, I'm going to say at least three and a half years ago. Mm. So I wanted to see the original, and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, it was directed by. Siswaro Gautama Putra. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Siswaro. And I'm not I'm not gonna get into uh, all the actors and actresses, but I really enjoyed the film. Uh, I thought it was it had a, str- a strong opening music, uh, where there's a funeral of a woman and a woman's child sees mom as a ghost outside of her window. And I wondered if that, or sorry, it was a, uh, it was a boy. It wasn't a girl, but, but it was almost a, a, an element I thought of Salem's Lot. Right. Yeah, that, I got That's strong vibes. I yeah, I got that. I got that vibe too. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, and he and they go to a fortune teller, and he tells him that the family is in danger, and a new housekeeper gets hired, and when the new housekeeper gets hired stuff starts to happen. Now, I found it really funny because there's a brother and a sister. They've lost their mom. They're trying to get over the situation. And the sister breaks out to go out with her friends. And then we get this, what I wrote as a super cheesy disco dance scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I really got into that. That They really prolonged it. It was obvious that they pulled like a second-rate Donna Summer song or something into the... (laughs) It was, and it was pretty funny. Yeah, you you can you can pick it up. You can continue from there if you want. Oh no, I was gonna say yeah. That, that, I I found very very strong Fulci vibes from this one, um, especially uh, City of the Living Dead. I thought it it uh, played kind of heavily into like that kind of a, like supernatural horror realm. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, I had seen. I, I'd seen a trimmed down version. I, I'd seen, I, again, it was another censored version of the film um, years ago. So I was able to finally see the, un, the uncut version. Um, maybe it would have been better because I think the uncut version of the gore looks really cheap and chintzy. Um, especially the uh, smashed head, which looks kind of, uh, which kind of does Watermelonish. Really, <laughs> looks watermelony or uh, kind of choppy, but. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think there's a fantastic goth, um, atmosphere here. Um, I really like, the, you know, the, the relationship that emerges where you start realizing the son's not necessarily the same person he was before. And unlike um, real Pokong, I think it does build to a th- crazy third half that's totally warranted. And I really found a lot of fun with it. I, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, let's let's just say that this housekeeper isn't what she seems, and she uses males that have died that are around this family to her own delight. Let's let's just yeah. put it that. Um, <laughs> I, I I called this a, a fun Romeresque, as in George Romero esque zombies. So they were they were kind of of that ilk. Uh, I called it a fun horror in its spirit. And that's what it was. It was just a fun horror. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, don't don't think too hard. Put your brain at the door and just 
just see how the action unplays. That's pretty much what I got out of it. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. Um, uh, the only other one that I would want to bring up, uh, Impetigor. Any uh, viewers of that one? Yeah, that was good. What do you think of that one, Nathan? What that made it? my list uh, last year. Uh, the top horror movies list we did with Greg Bench and Pedagor was on that list. I think that was a, a really good movie. And, of course, it was a follow. That director had done the remake of Satan Slaves. And um, I really enjoyed it a lot. And I, you know, the only issue I had, and I think, Bill, we might have talked about this, the opening of that film of Impetigore is so intense and so perfectly done that it then challenges the rest of the movie to be up to that that level of intensity. And I'm not sure that it, you know, it, it kind of takes it, it takes a trip to get back there, but I really liked it a lot. Yeah, I thought the first 10 minutes were honestly as strong as any horror. Yeah. Regardless of where it was made, regardless of uh, who the actors were, it was super strong, super scary, super mm. intense. And I'm not a supernatural guy, as many of you know. I'm not. I really liked where it went, and it could only fall a little flat just in the rest of the movie. But that's not to say the rest of the movie wasn't good. There was some gore involved. There was almost it got bloody at times. There was a supernatural backstory to it. It was kind of a mystery with this girl and her friend trying to find where things were coming from. I really like that film. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, is There's a very, very strong folk horror atmosphere to that that I really enjoy. Um, I do like the buildup. I do like the two main girls. Uh, they have a fun little dynamic together. Maybe the film runs five minutes too long. Uh, you could have cut out, um, you know, her playing, uh, you know, the scene of her playing, you know, the friend playing up as the main girl and trying to trick everyone you know, it goes nowhere, but I, I don't have any issues with it. Yeah, that was a really strong one. And I, I was thinking about covering it, but I just figured it was uh, better to spotlight a couple of other films. But um, yeah, uh, sounds like we all uh, enjoy Indonesian horror, it sounds like. Uh, I guess this was a uh, great crop of uh, films to choose from. Yeah, totally was. And yeah. it's a lot of, they were the ones that we they picked and we've covered here. Every last one of them, I think, has a, it will at least be, I think, enjoy, you know, I can't speak for the the two that I didn't see, but will at least be enjoyable to you. You know, it may not be entirely your bag, but I think that you'll get something out of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say the beauty of this kind of endeavor that we undertook is if you dig a little bit more, and I'm sure Don can attest to this, the more you find. Yeah. And the more you find is stuff you didn't realize and you kind of go, hmm, and some of it might be good. Some of it might be top of the shelf. Some of it might be bottom of the shelf. But the journey is always worth it. And if you find a couple that you didn't know that you enjoyed, I, I really thank Don for bringing this to my attention. Because down the line, I might have seen some of these, but this forced me to. And I really now have an appetite for it. Very much the way that, you know, the first time you get dug into Japanese or South Korean horror. Mm -hmm. Now Indonesian is one where you don't roll your eyes. You're like, I'm getting into this. Yeah. Well, like I said, that was uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this specific country because like I said, I, the recently of the films that have been coming out, I I'm really thinking of, you know, claiming that they're amongst the best genre productions in the world. You know, like, you know, like I said, they're up there with South Korea and Japan as like the top tier of what's being produced. 
So um, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this. And I, I really love that we got to got together to do this because, uh, you know, like I said, it sounds like we all enjoyed ourselves. That was totally fine. We'd love to have you back anytime, Don. And for anyone's looking to fill out their Halloween viewing, their October viewing, you know, there's some great stuff here. Bill, you uh, you have Mystics in Bali and the Queen of Black Magic to look forward to. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? Those ones would be perfect. From what I can tell, those ones would be perfect for October, but they're also great for March. Like it's just one of those type yeah. of supernatural turn off the lights and just watch mm-hmm. yeah Absolutely. yeah good anytime but uh don thank you so much for for joining us and for bringing bringing this topic and bringing all your your knowledge on it and you know it's made me go back even the ones that i didn't get a chance to rewatch, like may the devil take you i'm really excited to to watch that and check out the uh the sequel as well and yeah a lot of fun and if you take anything away from this mystics and bali <laughs> and Lady Terminator are absolutely nuts. And you need those kind of movies in your life too. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I just want to say, Don, thank you very much for coming on. We've been chatting for years. It's nice that you finally came on. And I know that you throw a lot of support our way and we really do appreciate it. And for the listeners, that, the listeners that aren't aware, Don is great at coming up with deep, deep dives on just about films of any topic. And so, you know, you could talk about, I don't know, I know Don has an affinity to shark films or animal films or Italian cinema or what have you. He will give you four or five that even I will go like, oh, geez, I got to look this up because Don has stumped me again. Don writes the best reviews of of those asylum-style movies that you'll that you'll that you'll ever read the, your reviews are more entertaining than most of those films and after you review after you read his review you'll be like what did i miss how, how did i not get that out of this? or you'll be like me and say you know what i don't think i need to see it now but this was this was worth this was worth reading yeah. now there was something i just quickly i don't mean to put you on the spot don but i just signed up for one group that you just have and you have a podcast that you're involved with called No More Room in Hell. Okay, so yeah, um, I was going to mention that in the uh, in the links at the end. So what happens is uh, No More Room in Hell is a um, it's a like main show where um, there's various other sidecasts that are sprung off of that, and I'm on two of them. Uh, so the two that I'm on, and uh, this will probably get into my plugs and all that. Um, the one show is, uh, the, the first show is called No More Room in Hell Presents Fresh Cuts. Now, Fresh Cuts is a weekly, is a look at the uh, biggest weekly release, um, whether it's theatrical, VOD, streaming, what have you. So basically, you know, we'll take a look at one movie and it's like, you know, the big release of the week. So we look at Candyman, we look at Malignant, we look at, um, uh, what were some of the other stuff we did? Uh, we looked at, you know, Blood Red Sky when that dropped on Netflix. We looked at uh, Spiral when that came out. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's like the biggest release out there. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. Um, we, the most recent episode we just released was um, Bad Candy, the anthology so it's oh yeah yeah i haven't seen that yet yeah um so that's our main newest release 
the show, Bill, that you're referring to, um, that is a second sidecast called No More Room in Hell Presents Creature Comforts, where it's basically just creature features. So Godzilla, Gamera, nice. King Kong, um, which is our first episode, um, we're doing uh, King Kong, the original. But nice. um, yeah, we also have plans to do stuff like uh, the giant behemoth, um, it came from beneath the sea, twenty and million miles claw. from Earth, as well as you know stuff like alligator or piranha or you, you know like creature features of that sort. So we're not necessarily limiting ourselves to one specific thing. It's you know so you know like I said, we can cover Godzilla, Gamera, Kong, and we can also look at you know it came from beneath the sea, twenty million miles from Earth, the giant behemoth. Or, you know, we can do alligator or piranha or prophecy or, um, you, you know, stuff like that where, you know, you know, it's a creature feature. So that's sort of what the new show is. Um, it should be launched by the time this is released. Um, you can find both of those shows under No More Room in Hell. That's the uh, podcast that you want to find because... In addition to the main show called No More Room in Hell, you also get those other two shows. It's like branching them out, and they're like sister podcasts, but they're all on the same feed. Cool. Oh, Nathan and I are very aware of that sort of situation. <laughs> yes, yeah. Phantom Galaxy is becoming a Russian nesting doll of podcasts. Yeah. So um, that's. <laughs> but I like that. Yeah, that's sort of what um, this what this thing is. Um, both of those are, like I said, uh, you can find it on No More Room in Hell, which, um, you know, it, it's another show that you should listen to. I did make a guest appearance on there a few weeks ago, and we did um, an episode looking at the two uh, late era Bruno Matai zombie films. So we looked at, um, when I joined them, we looked at uh, Island of the Living Dead and Zombies the Beginning. But we also, you know, there's other, you know, there's episodes that look at, um, you know, folk horror from Estonia or uh, it was not folk horror. From, uh, it was folk horror from Finland. That's what it was. Um, you know, they do. I have seen folk horror from Estonia, though. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I just got there's the one they're called November. Yeah, uh, I think I've seen that one. But um, it's anyways, weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's also, you know, episodes looking at, uh, you know, two random films from 1970 or, you know, two 1960s British anthology films or, you know, two films inspired by Evil Dead or, you know, stuff like that, where it's a little bit more of like a general show, whereas, you know, each of the two side shows that I'm on, they're like specific. They have like specific t um, targets or topics that they look at. So uh, those are just um, basically you get in, you get out, you get your review, and then, you know, you're on your way. Whereas the main show, No More Room in Hell, is like a general horror podcast, you know, news discussion, all that kind of stuff. So all of them are worth checking out. But if you want the main show, you can find No More Room in Hell and you'll find you'll find the two that I'm on, Fresh Cuts and Creature Comforts. And I know, Don, that you were kind of mentioning off air a couple ideas that you might have. So yeah. just be on the lookout for Don because he's got his hands in a lot or his stick in a lot of fires and mm -hmm. we just want to see what pokes out. Yeah. Uh, so uh, like I said, they were mentioning uh, my reviews. Just uh, plug that real fast. Um, I Like I said, I at the beginning of the show, I do write um, horror reviews on Asian movie pulse. 
uh, a lot of the stuff that I that's the, a lot of the stuff that I post on there are horror reviews. Um, they make you do trailers as just sort of a uh, you know everybody gets you know a chance to post every now and then just to like share the load kind of a thing. So you'll see trailer articles or releases under my name as well, just because that's one of the you know things of uh, working on the site, but. Um, usually, if you if you look me up on the site, you're gonna find a lot of them are gonna be horror or uh, horror or otherwise uh, reviews on there. Um, all of them eventually they do get um, republished on my own um, personal site, Don's World of Horror and Exploitation. Uh, you can find it online at the uh, shorter URL, uh, Don's Horror World dot where uh, I do interviews reviews uh if you send me a press release i'll do it um but uh yeah you it's basically just turned into a large review warehouse where i review everything i can everything i can so uh yeah if you're interested look me out out there and uh pretty easy to find very cool and i will have all the links to all of those places in the show notes and Don, before we go, uh, and let us go ahead too, and we'll we'll, uh, we'll plug Phantom Galaxy as well. You can find Phantom Galaxy as always at phantomgalaxypodbean.com. And much like uh, the podcast, No Room in Hell, that you were just talking about, um, we do have uh, sort of podcasts under the same umbrella. We have Strange Frequencies with uh, Bill. Bill takes the lead on that, and we cover uh different like musical related things we'll often look at albums and then we'll pair it with a movie and we usually and we also have illustrated fan with myself and dave becker and uh, at this point our last episode we looked at uh two of the movies of ralph bakshi the fantasy movies of ralph bakshi and then we have uh an october or halloween themed episode coming up very soon for that so you can check us out there you can check us out on facebook and on twitter and you can find us pretty much wherever podcasts are. If you get a chance, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, and that helps us get the word out on everything. And that uh, that will be the show. Don, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we uh, head out? Uh, just, you know, if you see any of these films, I'd love to know what you thought of them. Um, you know, if anything tickled your fancy or you found something interesting uh, i'd love to talk about it uh so you know if you see anything hit me up i'd love to know what you thought of it but um other than that uh yeah this was uh, exactly as much fun as i expected it would be and i uh, can't thank you guys enough for having me on it was a lot of fun and uh, i really appreciate uh, me being here don i don't know about nathan but i think he feels the same way i think he would be absolutely perfect and a blast to have on an episode of vod roulette <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. That that where we basically we just pick some random thing, usually something that none of us have seen, but each person picks a movie and then we usually have like a fourth one that maybe we let the audience decide upon and then we kind of go round robin and review them and um thanks to Bill's idea of I'm just going to look at a page and point at a movie on Tubi, I've watched some crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh don't worry, I've done that too. <laughs> yeah. I know Bill's pain. But it's always done... fun to talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I no, know. No matter how I know Bill's pain, I've done that myself. Yeah, no, yeah, no matter how crappy it is, you always end up laughing. And Bill always likes to point out that no matter how many times I say, "Oh no, another horrible movie," he points out that I have indeed seen far more crap than he has. 
if you look at the pure bulk of it over the years. So what we're saying, Don, is you like crap as much as we do. Yeah. <laughs> You're willing to sit through crap as much as we are, maybe is the way to say it. To, for the gems, to find the gems. So. Yes. Well, yeah. So everyone get ready and synchronize your Mystics and Bali watching parties for this uh, this upcoming uh, Halloween season. And this is a Phantom Galaxy signing off. Take care, everyone. Later. Bye-bye. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth pop. A lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeat.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.